are listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. Everybody, how's everybody doing? This is episode 17 of the GGTMC. <laughs> yes, the train is rolling at full speed now. Yes, we are back on the air. It's good to be back again for another week with some very interesting films to cover this week. So, all right, our pleasantries out of the way. Here we go. Okay, uh, make sure to check out our Facebook page, uh, our MySpace page, myspace.com uh, slash The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Pop Syndicate forums. Make sure to head over there, join up. We are getting some new members over there, so that's really good. I've seen quite a few new faces over there, so hopefully some more people will join up. Uh, make sure to check out Paracinema Magazine at paracinema.net, uh, horror.commentary.com. Make sure to check that out. Uh, you want to send us a voicemail, send it to 206 666 5207 emails to midnightcinema@gmail.com and that midnight is spelled M-I-D-N-I-T-E and uh, also let me mention the podcast alley if uh, anybody's listened to this and hasn't voted yet please head over there and vote battling every week now it seems uh, every day I should say at this point uh, film junk and Chuck versus the podcast whatever the hell that thing is so uh, no animosity toward those guys but all of a sudden they've become the two most popular podcasts on the face of the universe so whatever yeah come on guys I mean if you haven't gotten out there and voted please do it's uh, like we've said to you it, it means a lot to us you know, because it gives us that little, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, tangible, tangible. There you go. This tangible sort of ribbon that we can kind of pin our hats or pin our, puff our chests out for. So give us some uh, gravitas. Gravitas. Yeah. But other than that, I'll say that we are this week covering uh, two very, well, yeah, I'd say two very different films. Uh, one from 1972 called uh, Cutthroats 9, kind of an infamous spaghetti western. Uh, from Spain, uh, oddly enough. And uh, the other film, I don't know what year exactly it came out. Do you remember what year? Uh, yes, it's 2005's SPL, also known as Chapo Lang, Sat Po Long, and the unfortunate title in the States, Kill Zone. Either way, those, those are the two films we're covering. Uh, you'll probably be able to find it easier under Kill Zone. But uh, yeah, cut those nine in Kill Zone. So that's what we are covering this week. Uh, I really pretty much all I got, that's all I got to say at the beginning here. Is there anything you'd like to go over? Thing that I can't go over in the outro. So with <laughs> all that. That being said, I'll go ahead and go to our first break, and we'll be back with our review of uh, Cutthroat 9. That's what we're going to do first, so we shall return. What's up, kiddies? You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, the only show crazy enough to tackle the Brian Bosworth classic Stone Cold. We are back from break. <laughs> That's a little uh, Flight of the Concords. They came back on the air on HBO this uh, week, so I thought I'd play a little Flight of the Concords there. So we are going to jump into our first film, which is 1972's Cutthroats 9. Uh, also known as uh, Condinados Avivar. Avivar, maybe? Avivar? I, I can't say it's Avivar. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Cutthroats 9. Or we call it CT9. Uh, sort of oh, an no. info. <laughs> or that? as we call it. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, review over. Next next movie. <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of an infamous, to say the very least, an infamous uh, spaghetti western. Kind of considered the most violent of the spaghetti westerns, although I don't know if it's as violent as the second Django movie. Uh, it's certainly not as good as uh, Django Kill Kill or whatever that uh, second Django film's called. It's got a million titles, so I can't really quote it exactly right now. I think it is Django Kill, if you live, shoot, or, or just Django Kill, yeah, yeah. Something like that. But this is from 1972, directed by Joaquin Luis Romero Marchant. It's a Spanish film, basically. I'll give you the basic plot synopsis, which is a wagon load of convicts on their way to, pri- on their way to prison is being escorted through the mountains by a cavalry troop. And uh, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. I'm going to kick it over to you. We're going to get started talking about this film and uh, see where we go from here. Alrighty. Cutthroats 9 is a film that when you and I had first started talking, because you and I spent a good few months almost talking about um, just getting to know each other, I guess, a little bit. Uh, since we couldn't do the long walks at the beach due to the geography uh, issues, we chit-chatted a lot on the phone. And in our conversations and our discussions of love of Westerns, Cutthroats 9 came up. Uh, it was a film that you and I had both been very keen to see for quite a long time. Um, so when you got your hands on a copy of it, we were both very keen to see this film. Um, so we did, obviously. And I have to say, I was uh, I was terribly, terribly disappointed with this film. Where to begin? Well, let, let me just start with the uh, the transfer uh, that we got. I thought it was a sort of a little technical aside. I thought it was a decent enough transfer. Um, it was a little soft, but I mean that's what you get with uh, with a VHS uh, transfer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean it was serviceable. No, it was. Uh, I was actually expecting it to be much worse than uh, what it was. It was actually uh, the film, except for some scratches and some uh, burn marks and stuff. It's in pretty good shape uh, for a film that not readily available anywhere and kind of infamous. I was expecting it to be in really really bad shape, but it, it was in pretty good shape actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all in all, it was like I said. A little soft some of the sound was a little distorted but i think that's one of those things as you get into gray market uh, films you begin to see that you got to kind of lower um what it is you're expecting in terms of the print right you know right um but you know okay that aside one thing i did like about the film a lot um was i like the fact that it takes place in sort of this uh, this punishing kind of brutal snowy mountainside did and it remind you did it remind you of another film we covered <laughs> it most certainly did in in a lot of regards uh not in terms of competence or skill or, or power of the film, um, and that, of course, being The Great Silence. Right. Um, but, yeah, just to see the snowy kind of mountainous uh, region in a film is very nice to see because it's just, you know, the cold can be conveyed uh, very well on film if it's done effectively, if it's done properly. It can be very effective as sort of a brutal, unforgiving uh, climate, which um, in some points it was. I think it more <clears throat> was early on in the film when, when you kind of got that terrible echoing. I can't remember who it was one of the characters was uh, yelled something you can see it echo and there, there's these trees kind of a great shot of these these really tall trees and it was sort of they were just sort of looming over the the whole landscape mm-hmm. um, so you know you kind of get a feel for that I do want to say that I thought the dubbing in this film was was atrocious um, yes there's no subtitles available for this film as far as I know there's not a subtitled version so you're gonna get the dub version if you seek it out and uh, mm, yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty bad it's really bad and there's a couple that were a couple of the voices uh, were good like the main character uh, um, Sergeant Brown was decent. His daughter, Sarah Brown, was decent. A couple of the characters were. But there's one character, <clears throat> and thank God he's not in the film. Well, maybe he would have made me laugh a little more and spice things up. But, uh, you know, the bandit, he sort of plays like the Rod Steiger role, but less uh, less likable. Yeah. He's like sort of the, the bandit. And, you know, he comes on, he's like, man, where's the gold? <laughs> You know, just, bah, bah. yeah. I thought when uh, he went away, I thought, oh, thank God, I ain't got to deal with him anymore. And then he pops up again later in the film. I was like, oh Christ, here we go again. 
<sighs> yeah, and I mean, you get a lot of that. He was literally the twirling mustache sounding type of bandit. That's what he was. That's he what he was. sounded like. The dub was like... <laughs> yeah, it was really bad. And I, I know Miles uh, from Show Show could do a pretty good voice, an imitation of this guy, because he does... Uh, anyone listening to his show knows he does this baby voice sometimes, <laughs> and it's it's pretty funny. But anyway, it was sort of reminded me of sort of a, a, this baby voice but anyway uh, so yeah the dubbing again took me out of the film um a little bit so that was unfortunate because you know like we've often said watching a film in its original language is something you want to do you don't want to watch it with dubbing because unless you get something like the big racket or these films that are really competently dubbed it can take you out of a moment of a film where it shouldn't um so i mean that was a problem i'll get into other problems later let me focus on some positives um as much as it was a bit amateurish there's sort of an interesting freeze frame kind of flashback uh thing that's used consistently throughout the film it it's kind of interesting what happens is you get a freeze frame and then you start to hear the the sounds of of the scene and, and it'll flash back to uh to another time and and i don't know i mean it was something i'd never seen before in a film so it kind of kind of grabbed me a little bit i thought that was okay yeah there's one of those flashbacks which made me laugh <clears throat> uncontrollably where one of the characters is attacking an Indian who obviously this Indian doesn't know how to fight because this Indian's just standing there with a knife and this guy's running in slow motion just jumps on him and they roll around on the ground like two lovers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who hadn't seen each other in quite yeah. some time. It's forbidden love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much, man. But yeah, I mean, it wasn't a great, uh, great technique. But, you know, it kind of grabbed me the first, a few times. I thought it was kind of interesting. It reminded to... me a little bit of what Leone did with A Fistful of Dynamite, uh, or, or a.k.a. Duck, You Sucker. Uh, he didn't freeze frame, I don't think, before he went to the memories. Uh, but oh. it, it had that kind of feel a little bit. Maybe he did freeze frame. I can't recall. I haven't seen I Duck, You Sucker in a while. So. Don't. I think what would, would cue that up was that, Sean, Sean, oh, would kind of fade in as John, uh, Col- John, John. <laughs> yeah that would kind of fade in as you guys as- need to see if you haven't seen ducky sucker see that and you'll know what that means you will and anyone who has will love it distinct piece of film uh, music yes. in a film but yeah i don't think they freeze me i think they would kind of fade that in and then colburn would take him back to his uh, sort of reminiscing because um, i think there was only flashbacks with him wasn't there i don't think there was any with uh, with uh, steiger's character uh no i don't recall any with him uh, but yeah. there was flashbacks off and on with uh, most of the villains and stuff. Uh, not all of them, though, which was an odd choice. I thought we were going to see a flashback from every one of them, but I don't think there was for every one of them. Oh, in this film, you're talking about Cutthroat Snyder, yeah. No, oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. That was <clears throat> it was kind of odd. You, you would think that if they're going to go that route, that they're going to show you all of them. Why only show a few? I mean, because most of them were given pretty equal screen time. Yeah. You know, I can understand if there was, you know, three or four kind of red suits that were in the background just... Uh, that were the use were sort of inconsequential, but they were all kind of given equal screen time, right? Um, yet they didn't show flashbacks for all of them, so that was a bit of an odd decision amongst many odd decisions. Um, one thing that did kind of keep my interest a little bit was the daughter in the film. I thought she was uh, she was very pretty. Yeah, and you know, I didn't write this in my notes, but I thought this, and I'm just going to go ahead and get it out there. When I first started watching the film, I thought she was his his wife right. because so did she I. did not look like his daughter. No, she did not. She did not look young enough to be his daughter. Yeah, I just felt uh, I just felt some kind of weird vibe there, and of course, you know, once they showed me that it was his daughter and stuff, I kind of picked it up a little bit more and, and stuff. But for a long time, watching the film, I kept thinking, yeah, she just that's just miscasting. But she is she is very pretty. You're right. Uh, she is yeah. uh, not a lot of great acting from her, but uh, no. she is pleasant to look at. Yeah, she doesn't have a lot of lines in the film, and it's probably a good thing. Um, she's more pretty. Yeah, more than anything, she's pretty. And since we're on the topic of her, I did want to say again, I thought it was a real misfire. Um, or it was shoehorned in um, without any sort of um, legitimate explanation as to why 
when this uh, this soldier is is um, transporting these criminals, that he's going to bring his daughter along for the ride. Yeah, that's just a bizarre choice. But uh, for a it plot makes no device, sense. yeah, it makes no sense. But for a plot device, I can see why they did it. Uh, obviously, because uh, again, I don't, I'm not really worried about spoiling this film. Because if you want to seek it out, you want to seek it out. But again, we run into a situation where there's a rape. So I could see what happened. Although I will give the film credit, it kind of takes a different slant after the rape that I wasn't expecting. So yes, <laughs> so I'm yes. not. I'm not. I don't. I don't feel like I'm giving anything away. I mean, you get a bunch of convicts and you got a young, pretty girl, and this is a spaghetti western. Come on. Yeah. What do you think's gonna happen? <laughs> yeah. She's yeah. not gonna be making them breakfast and singing "Kumbaya" by the fire. Trust me. No. No. Exactly. <laughs> and it just if they had have even explained it somewhat, even just a throwaway line, just to say, uh, you know, since her mother died, you know, she she doesn't want to be alone or something i mean maybe it's kind of inferred but it just felt like really shoehorning like come on i mean you know this young woman has been traumatized by seeing her her, or not seeing maybe but her her mother was you know brutally murdered Mm -hmm. Uh, and the man that did that is uh is amongst the the the, uh prisoners yeah amongst the chain gang amongst the chain gang so why would you subject her to that i just it didn't make much sense to me, you know, and like I said, just some exposition or something to, to justify it mm-hmm. uh, or defend that, that that decision would have been good for me. Yeah, I agree. I know I said I was going to talk about some good, but to me, the bad always the good here, so I'm going to just kind of go as I have the notes. Uh, <laughs> yes. I thought the, the score itself was really over the top, kind of too orchestral, and in fact, it did nothing to enhance the film, but it felt to me really out of place with the kind of film it was. It felt to me more like, like a four, 1940s American mystery, kind of like a like an early Hitchcock American film, but not even as good. That's that's giving it too much credit. Yeah, it, it's not... It doesn't fit this film, for sure. I, I will agree with that. Uh, there are some... The main theme is okay. That boom, 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 boom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it was okay. I mean, they you they beat it to death, though. Yeah, well, that's because I think I don't think they had any other music. Uh, well, they but... had the, they they had the bit with the moaning in it, which I thought or groaning or whatever. Maybe yeah. it was my own groaning in my head, but <laughs> you know, it uh, that was uh, okay. I thought. Yeah, the music with the flashbacks and stuff was kind of over the. It was it was over the top. I mean, usually with these films, I can argue that. Uh, you know, if the film's not real great, then the music typically is with the Italian or the Italian, inf- in this case, the Italian influenced uh, genre of spaghetti westerns. But this this one's not a memorable score at all. So just no. kind of goes goes in one ear and out the other. And probably in uh, two days, I'll forget it completely. Yeah, I will. I had forgotten the boom, 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 boom until you'd done it. Yeah, that's so all I can that remember. Time. That's all I can remember from the score, though, is just that boom, 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 boom. This is an enjoyable radio listening. Listen to Big Willie and Samurai re- reinterpret <laughs> scores with their mouths. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> better that than our our asses i guess but Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean in getting back to the rape but just this is going to sound very callous very cold um but i'm going to be talking about in the context of the film when you have the quote-unquote good characters in a film you want to you you should be at least marginally emotionally invested in them and beyond my basic understand my basic um moral compass of rape is bad rape is wrong i didn't care about the character that much and what was happening to her yes it's bad because she's being raped but some of the power of that a rape should always be powerful uh, in a film and very bothersome and uncomfortable and sure this yeah. was a little bit uncomfortable but it didn't pack the wall up it should have um, because i just didn't care about the characters 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. The rape, the worst things about the rape in this film are, is not the actual, well, I mean, it's what you can't see. Uh, the, I mean, it's not what you can't see, what I'm saying. I mean, they don't really show much. There is a little bit of nudity. It's the kissing by the convicts. Is that the worst kissing you've ever seen? For, no one of these guys can't get a woman. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty disgusting. It's, that, that, it just, that appalled me, the uh, kissing. Uh, and I thought, okay, well, this one goon, he, he can't, he obviously can't kiss a girl correctly or doesn't know what to do. And then the other guy comes in there and he's doing the same thing. I'm like, Jesus. I mean, really, I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that was supposed to be convey um, sort of desperation or sort of an animal side to them that they just were kind of... It, it looked animalistic. It was terrible. It made me... Uh, I was eating some dinner while I was watching that, and it uh, made my stomach turn because it was just like, ugh. Really <laughs> greasy, kind of nasty. I don't know. But yeah. I, will, I will agree with you, though. I mean, rapes are supposed to be plot devices that drive you to be on the side of the you know the victim and you're supposed to you know really hate these characters it's the same thing like if you're an animal lover when someone when a bad guy in a film kills a dog or kills a family pet or like in that hills have eyes remake where that one guy just bit the head off the bird oh yes <laughs> which was just awful when people do that kind of stuff now you're supposed to side with the other side so you you know you're supposed to have this feeling of vengeance right and you just don't get this from this rape and a perfect example this is the big racket which we watched last week those rapes felt awful and, yeah and awful and powerful at the same time and you really sided with the the victim uh, this time around after it was over i still just didn't care <laughs> you didn't care and, and that's that's another problem i don't know if you had just mentioned it before you recording but the problem with the chain gang is that they have no charisma the, you don't even love to hate them they're just you're very stock it's like a group of um the background henchmen in a, in a, in a leone western none of yes. them were any good there's one of them actually i did like he looked like powers booth <laughs> Oh, yes, yes. He was sort of the, the head of them. Yeah, yeah. He was yeah, he okay. Yeah, he was okay. No, he was okay. That's true. But they didn't but, use him enough, and I, I don't know what his name is because these, these actors in this film, a lot of them are Spanish, and uh, it looks like a lot of them are Spanish, uh, kind of like extras in films and stuff. And But that is the problem. The problem is they all you know are unshaven, they all are dirty, and they all act exactly the same. That one we're talking about acts a little bit different. He's a little bit more reserved. Yeah, a little uh, bit more calculating. You can see sort of the wheels turning behind the eyes. Yeah, and you know if you look at his flashback, He's kind of a, he was a gentleman who kind of, uh, there was some jealousy and things, and uh, that's how he kind of ended up on the chain gang and stuff. So I don't know if he's really a, an absolute monster. Well, I mean, he is. He killed somebody, but I'm just saying, you know, he, he seems like he's a little bit more educated, a gentleman like the other guys really seem like just your common ground thug. They're just like rapist. a pack of hyenas. Yeah, yeah, and the, that is the that is the biggest problem with this movie. The biggest problem is you you want in a spaghetti western you want your villain to be as interesting as your uh, your hero or your antihero, yep. and uh, these these guys are just not interesting. They're just they're cardboard cutout. That's the word I used before we started recording. It's like okay, we need the we need the rapist and we need the uh, we need the crazy one and we need the uh, you know the one that likes to drink a lot. Oh yeah, and by the way, he's still the crazy one. <laughs> that's what it felt like to me it's like okay let's just throw as many uh, stereotypes in here as possible and run with it yeah just kind of stock you know background gang members from a a Leone Western and the thing that baffled me and and maybe I just misread this or didn't understand something but how did Sergeant Brown the main character not know which one of them murdered his wife how did he not know that Uh, I don't know I'm not convinced I'm not convinced he didn't know I think he might. Uh, how about how would he, they? They said he didn't know, and they even said um, there's a line that indicates that later on in the film that uh, you know I don't want to say too much, but yeah, there's a line in the film, and he doesn't know, and it's like how could you not know? Like this stuff wouldn't have been private. Again, yeah, I, can, I consider could, myself. Yeah, I mean, I consider myself a pretty smart film watcher at this point in my life. There's a lot of confusion in this movie, <laughs> and it's not good confusion. <laughs> 
No, I mean I was confused, and I'm glad that you were too. I mean, I hate to you know I hate to wish confusion upon you, but <laughs> I, I mean I'm glad that when you you know talked to me this morning when we start before we started recording that you found some story elements. You were asking me questions because I had questions too. I was like, well, wait a minute, they never really set that up, and they never really did this, and they just kind of moved along. And uh, I know they said that he didn't know who killed him, but I just have this feeling. Like with some looks between him and the character, we do find out that it, they did do it. I kind of have this feeling. That my interpretation is, is that he did know, and that he well, was going to do something about it later. Okay, so what benefit would it have had for him to play it off like he didn't know? Was it sort of the <laughs> element of surprise then? I think he didn't want his daughter to know because, well, I can't give anything. So, I can't talk. I can't talk about it anymore. <laughs> I got to yeah, stop but, talking about it right there. <laughs> yeah, but if he didn't want his daughter, why bring his daughter along then? Again, oh, it comes back to that. You I have no I mean? idea. I mean, that, that's that, that's the kind of movie this is. It's like, what the hell? What the hell's going on? Yeah, just very clunky, clumsy. Things aren't explained well enough. And, and again, I don't need to be banged over the head. I don't like to be banged over the head. But sometimes things have to. That's the problem. Sometimes when you get uh, hacky kind of directors, you get clunky narratives that it's not even that things are inferred or subtle. It's just that they're not explained at all. So you're left kind of scratching your head, thinking, "Is it me? You know, am I the idiot here? <laughs> yeah. You know, and that 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 was the problem with this. Um, getting back to a few good points of the film, I guess. Uh, I thought there was a real nice little sequence where they're they're on the chain gang, and um, one of them, he's sort of a scum, real, well, all of them are scumbags, but one is scummier. Yeah. And uh, he's walking ahead of uh, one of them, and the one behind him takes picks up part of the chain, which like, it sort of defied logic, but whatever, um, and he chokes the one in front of him. And it, it looked real nice because what happened was you'd see all the shuffling of the feet, yet the one that was being choked, his feet were a few inches off the ground. You could see him kind of struggling with his feet, whereas the rest of them, the feet were just kind of walking along or treading on the ground. I thought that was kind of a nice little sequence. Yeah, yeah, they picked, kind of picked him up while he was choking him so they could they would never turn around, notice that he was killing him, you know, so. Yeah, there was a lot, there's a lot of little sequences in here that are good. That's why I said, you know, I'm probably going to have to check out some of this director's other stuff because this is his most notoriously, uh, well, his most infamous film, and that's because of the violence, which I'm sure we'll talk about here in a few minutes, but it, there seems to be some talent here. I just, uh, it's, he just didn't use it for this movie. There, I said that, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll let you no, go I, ahead and get back on your points. <laughs> I agree. Um, there are a couple of nice quotes. Uh, the only ones I wrote down, there might have been a few other ones that were decent, but, and this is sort of a simple quote, and it's sort of a j- cliched quote, but I kind of liked it was, um, the chain gang is kind of desperate. They're getting hungry. They've run out of preserves or rations, and they have a pistol between them, and uh, one of them goes to, to shoot at a deer with this pistol, and, and the one guy you know wants the gun, and he says, no, no, I'll shoot, and he says, well, you've never shot a pistol more than three feet across from you uh, or more than three feet across a poker table it's okay you know it's sort of that that cliche of you know the dirty scoundrel uh, cheating at cards and and shooting everything but i don't know i kind of like that i mean i kind of like that line just yeah that's the uh that's the character that uh we liked the one uh the powers booth lookalike he uh they show eventually that flashback of him shooting across the poker table and i I thought it was going to be him cheating at a game of poker but it's actually a different angle yes it is again with some more violence which we'll get into (laughs) some gore yeah um there's another line that it's sort of uh, a bit of irony in the film is i don't know if we'd said this and this really isn't giving anything away but um the uh that guy is a bandit uh who i talked about earlier um and they're just trying to intercept these wagons and take the gold. What they've done is this chain gang, they've uh, chained them up with uh, with gold, uh, shackles and stuff, and just kind of painted them or something. Yeah, yeah, or, that was actually a really, really interesting plot device, and I really, really liked that. I thought, okay, this movie's going to be very cool, because uh, I didn't expect that. And uh, it's not the most original idea in the world, but I really, really like it. I mean, I really like that these guys didn't know they had gold on, and they're moving them across, and there was like, even our hero isn't as uh, clean, like most spaghetti westerns, even our hero isn't as clean as we'd like to think he is. 
No, no. I mean, I did like it. You're right. But um, there's a line when they've realized this, and um, <laughs> they're kind of... Sco- did you want to say something? or? No, no. I'm just laughing because I don't think I know where you're going. <laughs> um, there's a line where uh, one of them, one of the grubbiest of the, the bunch, uh, he's kind of... They're, they're kind of weak and hungry and cold, and he kind of laughs and says, oh, I always dreamed I'd die filthy rich. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of yeah. ironic because, you know, they have this gold. They just can't do anything with it. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I say it, it, it's a great plot device. It's just it's not realized to its full potential in this film. No, it's, it's sadly, sadly, sadly isn't. Uh, there's a nice peacoat in the film, which uh, yes, I saw made that. me smile. <laughs> As anyone knows, I saw the peacoat. <laughs> I'm a fan of the peacoat, so there was a nice one in this. Um, there's many. There's a lot of walking in this film, which I've talked about with you. There's a lot of walking, a lot of walking, a lot of walking. Yeah, this, this one might have. Uh, yeah, and this is boring walking. This isn't Lord of the Rings walking. This is a. Uh, this is some boring ass walking. It is terrible and the walking is usually ended off with the least convincing rolling down of hills that i've ever seen (laughs) oh it's It's like like okay guys i'm gonna need you to roll down this hill like oh i don't want to get hurt though (laughs) yeah yeah it uh it's like how kids when they're playing outside uh they'll fake like they're rolling down a hill on flat ground that's what it looks like yeah it was just so unconvincing it was laughably bad um another question i have for you is and again this isn't giving anything away uh, the wagon that this chain gang is on um flips over and so they're kind of left uh you know in a position um where they're being escorted and my question is why would they all given the opportunity why would they all stay together because they weren't it wasn't like like a, they weren't a band or a group of, of bandits they all had sort of individual backstories yeah i don't know i guess uh that might come back to the setting maybe uh being in the mountains and being cold maybe they stuck together because you know it seems like they had a plan once they got to the uh the general store but then you find out one character is just trying to exact some revenge uh it's just really confusing i don't know why they would stick together i, I, I just other than the fact they were chained together but eventually at some point they actually become unchained because they use the old uh, chain on the railroad tracks trick with, with the a, train with rolling a, over yeah with a train with the most convincing uh most unconvincing i should say steam whistle i've ever heard before in my life yeah sounds like somebody blowing on a little uh wooden flute <laughs> yeah it's like like uh baby zamphir or something yeah it's like woot, woot. <laughs> or toot from the hercules cartoon yeah. hey herc it was really bad. I mean, of course, when the train gets closer, it sounds more convincing. But when it's far away, it's like, oh, what the hell? Is that a train? Or is that, like, Thomas the train? What the hell is that? <laughs> yeah. No, I, again, it's just one of those things that defies logic and just felt kind of idiotic and clunky. Um, and it just, yeah, I just, I didn't understand what the purpose was. These were all cutthroat, for the most part, hence the title, mm-hmm. um, animals. And why would you risk your life? by staying in their company. You know what I mean? Like I'd say I'd be like, "Okay, cool. I got my gold. I'm out." You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, you would think. All I can all I can assume is maybe, you know, they felt lost or, you know, maybe there was hopes of something else. I don't know. I don't know. It, it, we're probably thinking too much about that. Maybe so. Um, it just yeah, I just felt like the journey just I felt like one of the prisoners with this film just like this this never-ending trek. I was tired. I was weary, you know. Yeah, I'm reminded of that motivational poster I see in offices and things uh that, you know, your destination it's not about the the destination, it's about the journey. Uh this is a film where it was about the destination and I needed them to get there immediately because I was getting ready to punch my big screen TV. <laughs> yep, as was I mean, I was like eating wine gums, I was eating pretzels, I was switching positions on the bed. Uh, <laughs> Um, everything to try and stay. And I finally, I gave up. I, I actually got up early to finish watching it before the show because I just, I couldn't slog through it anymore. Yeah. You know, it it's like if, if I was one of those um, chain gangers, it's like I would have just like found like a snowbank to go to sleep in. 
Yeah, I just said screw it, it's over. Yep, uh, and that's all the notes I got. All right, I'll go over a few things. Uh, I will. I, I do have a couple positives. I, I agree with you on the freeze frames and the flashbacks, even though the flashbacks are very unconvincing. The freeze frame uh, flashback initiative the guy director goes with is pretty good. Uh, it's a lot of fun. The setting is great. Uh, I will agree with you on that too. Uh, again, uh, I like the snow. I've always liked it in films, and this is another instance where the snow was pretty cool. And it reminded me of the Great Silence, uh, only in setting alone, obviously. But uh, well, in another way too. But I can't really give away too much. Much, uh, no. <laughs> yeah. I like the kind of savagery of the film a little bit. I like the uh, the fact that uh, every time one of them dies or something that they have to hack a limb or they have to carry... I like that they had to carry a dead body at one point. In the beginning, they had to carry a body. I thought that was pretty brutal, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's nice. That's awesome. It was awesome because it also showed that uh, the sergeant who was uh, in charge of getting them to where they were going wasn't fucking around because they killed this guy. He broke his leg, and they mm-hmm. killed this guy thinking that they could just you know cut him off and, and keep going. Going, but you know the sergeant wasn't going to let them off that easy. He goes, to, "Sorry guys, you're going to now you can carry him for the, yeah. the rest of the trip." Yeah, which I thought was awesome, and I thought, "Well, okay, we're going to have you know like a bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia thing here. They're going to have to carry this body everywhere they go." Which I thought, like, "Oh, this is so just you know spaghetti western. This is just so awful. You know, this body's going to get bloated and rotten and." You know, even though it's cold, you'll probably find some kind of animals trying to live inside this dead carcass or whatever. Yeah, limbs were going to break off because they were so cold and hardened. Or Yeah, yeah, I just thought it was going to be great. And then, of course, they I'm not giving too much away. They eventually just say, screw it, you know, while the sergeant's asleep, they just burn the body. <laughs> it is a very pessimistic film, uh, to say the least. I like that angle of it a lot. Uh, it's, it's the other stuff. The storytelling is bad. The storytelling's bad, the way it's set up, the pacing's bad. Uh, you know, when I watch a film, if a director's not competent, I at least want him to be able to tell me a story. And this is a situation where I can't say for sure that uh, Marchant, uh, Joaquin Luis Romero Marchant's not a competent director. He directed like 25 films, so he might have something in his you know resume that might be good that I haven't seen. But uh, this isn't the film. Let, this isn't the film for him. <laughs> let, let me just cut in. Sorry to interrupt you. <clears throat> Two things. We, with Turkish Star Wars and how many credits that director had, we know that sheer volume alone is not enough to ensure competency. <laughs> well, yeah, we do know that. <laughs> and second to that, when you say about a bad director, at least tell me a story, or at least entertain me. <laughs> like, look at Bruno Mattei. isn't the most competent director, but God, I love watching his films because they're so fun. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's, you can say that about a lot of the hack directors and a lot of the people that we like. Uh, you know, they they... They tell their story. Uh, it might not be the best-looking story. It might not be the most original story, but they tell their story. Uh, the perfect, perfect example of this person I can think of as an explanation director is exactly who we covered last week with Enzo Castellari. I mean, he takes very simple stories, and he paces them well and tells the story. You know, And uh, this is a situation where the pacing is awful. Uh, the director must have fallen in love with the setting and the characters, even though I don't know how you could fall in love with these characters. I mean, even the bad guys. I didn't even like the bad guys. I mean, they were just awful. Boring. Yeah. Uh, there's some, some soldiers that they run into at the bar slash general store which they're just like over the top ridiculous especially when they decide to start drinking it's like what the hell mm-hmm. there's some really really bad stuff here's a couple things i will say this could be remade very well and i actually talked to you before and we had talked about it that uh, Rod- uh rodrigo godino who uh used to be the editor-in-chief at rumor magazine up there in canada he uh he's actually attached somehow to a remake of this film now this film bare bones it has all of the great elements of a modern western and it would be a lot of fun and with the right person it could be just a gruesome great terrific western uh so i'm hoping that if he does make it or whoever remakes it uh, gets it right yeah i i, I know godino's shorts have gotten some critical acclaim at uh, mm-hmm. festivals he's he showcased them at and he's someone that clearly loves horror and genre cinema um mm-hmm. so 
I would be cautiously optimistic uh, for him to remake it because you're right. It has all the this I said to you before we started recording. This has all the elements to be one of my favorite films of all time. Yes, in the right yes, hands. I mean, how can it not? You got a bunch of convicts. You got a chain gang. The chain's made out of gold. You know, they're they're trapped. I mean, you just got all these great elements. Uh, you know, and the violence in the film is great. I mean, well, not great, but it's very it's very it is very violent. And it, it, there's just all of these great little plot devices that can make uh, such a great film. It's just this isn't this isn't the film. This isn't the one. <laughs> the, pr- the problem is, simply put, the director was too pretentious for his own good. His skill as a director was not... Um it was actually inversely proportional to how pretentious he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is the problem. Uh, going back to that, what, what did you think about the violence? Did you think the violence was uh, interesting at all? Mm, I thought it was clunky. I thought it was shoehorned in. It was almost like this leering kind of close-up of gore that just felt shoehorned in. Because there's a couple of real nasty scenes, but again, they didn't fer- make the film any more powerful. I, they felt, you know, just put in to, to try and titillate or to try and squeeze a little bit of gore in. And there is, a, yeah, there is a few gory sequences but no I, I didn't if anything it was just very clunky and felt sort of forced into me yeah they they did feel punched in uh added in in retrospect because every time there's a scene of gore uh it's a very close-up shot of gore and it just they they all felt like you know like the film was kind of slow so the producers or whoever said hey we need some shots of violence and so they went back and filmed a bunch of stuff uh it is a violent film uh, i will say that you know it's got the it's got the uh infamous reputation of being one of the most violent that's even says so on the dvd box i have it says one of the most violent european uh westerns of all time uh it, it has some violence and stuff but the tone isn't right for the violence that's the biggest problem that's exactly what you said they're added in scenes of gore to make it seem a lot worse mm-hmm. than it actually is the tone isn't right though the tone isn't right i mean every time i've seen a gore would happen i kind of smiled yeah uh, you're not supposed you're not supposed to smile <laughs> when a gore happens <laughs> or when a, when a woman's <laughs> head gets the top of her head gets blown off by a gun <laughs> yeah i'm sitting there i'm sitting there smiling while i'm doing yeah. that you know and i'm not supposed to smile i'm, I'm sitting there you know laughing and thinking oh that was pretty cool and then that's what it, that's the feeling you get from it you get the feeling you get is that oh you know we had to go back and add some gore to punch up the film a little bit and yeah it punches it up but it punches it up in the wrong tone yeah because it's one thing to get a, a sort of splattery kind of comedic film where you are going to laugh at the gore because of how we're talking this again this film tries to be serious and tries to be pretentious, and I don't know if it came out after The Great Silence, but if it did, then it tries to be Corbucci's masterpiece. I couldn't tell you for sure. I'd have to start digging around here, and I'm not going to do that on the air, but uh, I, I can't remember exactly when The Great Silence came out. I think it might have came out after. This is 72. I don't know. Either either way, it does feel like it was trying to... If it if The Great Silence came out before, it does feel yes, like... Yes, yes, uh, yes. Great Silence came out in 68. This film came out well, four years after. Fucking ripoff artist. <laughs> yeah, that is. There you go. So we, uh, you know, we know that. I mean, it, it is. It does have a lot of that. Uh, I will say, and I'll get to get off of this film, and we'll move on to our next film. Uh, there are some horror elements in the film that are kind of interesting. There's a scene of reverse photography that I didn't see coming. I'll have to say that that came out of nowhere. Yeah, that was kind of uh, cool. Yeah, there was. There's. That's the problem with this movie, man. There's a lot of walking, a lot of boredom, and then there's like, if you add it all together, there's like five minutes of cool stuff in a 90-minute film. Yeah. <laughs> and that's really the feeling you get from the movie. It's interesting to see if you're a completist and if you've always wanted to see it. Uh, if you've always wanted to see it, don't uh, listen to us and hear us kind of bag on it and everything and think, okay, well, it's not worth seeing because Big Willie and Samurai don't like it. Uh, I still think it's worth seeing uh, uh, because... It's infamous, and, you know, if you're a completist of Spaghetti Westerns like I am, uh, or, you know, just a film buff in general, it's still worth seeing, just to comment on. And, actually, I think some people out there will actually like this. I hate to say that, but I think some
some people out there will like it because the gore took me out, but I think some people will love it. I mean, you get everything. You get the the blown up heads. You get uh, an eyeball coming out of the skull. You get some nice throat slashings. Yeah, you get some intestines. Yeah, you get intestines. You get it all. Uh, it's it's in its a uh, very you know seventies European uh, red paint blood style, but <laughs> that's okay. You, you get it, yeah, and uh, you know some people are going to like that. I think, and uh, that's okay. I'd be interested to see some other people watch it and stuff, and see what they think. And it is a public domain film, so you'd have to you have to hunt around online for it quite a bit, but you can find it. I bought mine from the uh, northern province of Canada, so uh, a night province, uh, the northern area of North America, not as Canada, <laughs> but on the west coast out there where they all the hippies in Vancouver. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hope I didn't offend too many people. <laughs> Well, that's where it came from, the British Columbia area. Anyway, yeah, that's pretty much all I got, man. I really don't have a whole lot more to add to this. I'll let you go ahead and do your make or break and your uh, MVT and whatnot. All right. Um, I do want to say in closing, I'm apprehensive to recommend it. I know film is subjective, you know, like any art is. Um, I would say, yeah, maybe seek it out because, I mean, we're not the, the, the be-all, end-all in terms of the, the, the taste makers or, you know, we like to maybe steer you guys towards stuff, but I would say... Yeah, I would agree. Let me let me catch up just for a second. I would agree with what you said. Seek it out if you're interested in this genre of filmmaking. If you don't really care, don't seek it out. <laughs> do Yeah, do not seek it out. Um, I would also say if you're going to seek it out, do not pay through the nose for it. Yes. Because it would be a, a waste of money um <laughs> you, if you're crafty or savvy enough you can find it a lot cheaper than than the, the going price um mm-hmm. and if you haven't promised finding it speak to me uh and sammy or maybe you can shoot uh a request over to the the good people at cinema de bazaar which we'll talk about of course a little bit later um okay my make or break uh well something finally broke a movie for me nice the all the walking and the the rolling down the hills just broke it for me because like you'd said there's a lot of great stuff in this it's a shame this really is a film a case of what could have been what should have been great concept a lot of great little personal touches some artsy kind of flares that i like because i i like art housey kind of surrealist stuff um a few little dabbles of that and i thought wow this you know this could have been great but all the walking and you know rolling down the hills just i thought oh come on man get with it like enough yeah. You know, so that just broke it for me, man. It just it just it broke my will. I wish to- I wish I had a bell uh to ring like uh F13 does because uh mine actually is a is a break too and it's the same damn break. It's the slog through the mountains. It's just like, "Oh, you got to be fucking kidding me. We're going to walk again." Yeah, it's <laughs> such a slog. Um my MVT of the film and I'm sure yours is going to be the same is sort of the concept or plot for the film. Um I just felt like there's such a great idea there. Um there's a lot of great touches there. I just wish it was in a lot more competent hands because <sighs> it really could have been one for the ages. It could have been one that yeah it could have been you know one of the great westerns and one of my favorite films of all time if it had been done right so right it saddens me but the the concept and plot is excellent hopefully rodrigo godino can can uh, pick up the ball and really run with it here and, and make something that uh, is as memorable you know uh, uh, like the burrowers um which is sort of a horror western hybrid that is really good from last year um my score for the film is a four out of ten and that's primarily on the strength of um some of the little flourishes and the fact that there was gore as clunky as it may have been and there was a great concept and a great plot and a great setting um as opposed to sort of anything larger than that that's you know that's why i gave it the score i did otherwise it was you know pretty clunkily done so uh, yeah four mm. out of ten is my score all right that's, that's fair enough that's fair enough I'll, I'll just say you know my maker breaks the same i mean it's just a, it's just every time something happens you know i'm reminded of movies like uh hang on a second <clears throat> like lord of the rings and like uh uh saving private ryan films like that where you have 
have characters that have to go on these long tracks on foot. If your characters are not interesting when they have to do this type of stuff, uh, you're going to lose your audience immediately. And that's what happens here. The first couple of times I was okay with it, but it just seemed like every time they would stop, then they would start again, and they were literally just walking. There wasn't even, there wasn't even talking sometimes. It was just walking. And rolling. Yeah. <laughs> And rolling, <laughs> and even horses were rolling. There's, there's all kinds of stuff going on. I don't know. It just, it just really, really took me out of the film too. Between that and the score, and and the lack of charisma from the bad guys and things, it was just, uh, it was just, I was just so bored. And you know, I, I can sit through some boring ass films, okay? But this one, this one really tried. It tried the samurai's patience. It tried to Rick's patience. There we go. Some of the people out there know me as that nowadays. So. Uh, my MVT is pretty much similar to yours, although I am going to go just because. Because, you know, we don't want to be exactly alike here. I'm going to say that I did, I did like the setting quite a bit. So I'm going to lean more toward the setting. Uh, not enough westerns are shot in the snow and the mountains and stuff. I mean, Unforgiven actually had snow. Or a kind of a mountainous kind of snow feel to it. And I know that Eastwood likes, when he used to shoot his westerns, he liked to shoot them in Canada and stuff. And uh, this one shot, I think, in the Pyrenees Mountains, I think, in Spain. I don't know what they are. I knew it was northern Spain because I had wondered if maybe it was in Chile in the Andes Mountains. Mm-hmm. Um, because there was a few great shots. Uh, of the mountains in the film, yeah, the uh, and they really did shoot. It, they did really did shoot it there. You can really tell. There's some wide open shots where you know you see the convicts walking around and stuff. And there's actually some zooms from way up high that would zoom way down onto the people and you know in these big landscapes and stuff. So they really shot it in the mountains. So I'm sure it was a pleasant shoot because it looks like there was nothing anywhere around them. So I'm sure they were having a lot of fun out there. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, the setting is the thing I like the most. I still like westerns that are set in the mountains and, and uh, you know, you get more snow than you do the open plains sometimes. I mean, you know, the typical western is open, uh, you know, it's Monument Valley from America. It's, you know, very desert-like, you know, very hot, you know, mountains in the background that look like they're crumbling. Uh, so it's always nice to see some snow and, and things like that in a western. But that, that's about the only saving grace of the movie, honestly. Uh, that and the laughable, violent moments in between yeah. uh my score for the film is a 4.5 i'll give it just a little bit more than you uh it's still below average i liked some of the moments quite a bit uh, the reverse photography moment was insane and that's where the real horror elements came out that was just I, I, that was just bad shit crazy as i like to say i don't know where that came from but uh i won't give too much away because uh, in case anybody does want to see this, but it's it's just like what the hell? What 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 movie am I watching now? Am I watching like you know like Frankenstein shot in Spain or something? What the fuck am I watching? So uh, you know there was there was a couple moments where I was smiling with uh, glee at how bad it was, and then there was a couple moments where I was smiling, thinking, "Oh man, this could have been really good," and they really just kind of dropped the ball. So yeah, that's pretty I, much it. I mean, that's really all I got to say about CT Nine. I do want to say that two of the chain gang look like Rodrigo Santoro from Lost and Three Hundred. Yes, yes, they. Did. Did, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> One of them really did. One of them really did. The, the gray peacoat wearer, I think. So that's it. We were underwhelmed by CT9, Cutthroat's 9. Uh, it's a shame, really. But, you know, it was bound to happen. Some of these yes. films you always get a, a you know real pumped about are all the ones that are going to let you down the most and this one was a letdown for us all right with all that being said we're going to take a break and we'll come back with our second film popsyndicate.com reviews of all the hottest movies music authors comics books and more home of the pop syndicate message boards and the best media related podcasts and internet radio in the world check it all out at www.popsyndicate.com Look at the world, let's get ready to run. 
Ah, yes. One of the most appropriate courses in the world. Well, that's a classy song. <laughs> classy little number. <laughs> Good stuff. Oh, <laughs> uh, will go ahead and turn that down because it's, uh, it's a little too polite in the morning there. <laughs> <laughs> Who was that? That was uh, that Scars on Broadway band again. Uh, it's so hard to pick music out for these shows, and uh, I just kind of grab whatever you know, whatever I know I haven't used yet. And so I was listening to that the other day, and I thought, wow, this is like the most offensive chorus I've heard in a long time. I think I'll go ahead and put this on the show. <laughs> what is it? Uh, let me piss on your face while you suck yeah. on my cock? He's like, uh, I say fuck the world. Let's get ready to rock as I piss on your face while you suck on my cock. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's Christmas card-like. <laughs> Or Valentine's which, Day's around yeah, the corner. Yeah, which, by the way, if you guys would like a, a, a Valentine's Day card from Big Willie and Samurai with some pissing on faces, please send us an email. <laughs> We'd be willing to oblige. <laughs> it's actually not true. I'm totally not into the Golden Showers F-13. Yeah, pay attention because at the end of the uh, show there's going to be a little little quiz. And remember, Rick likes Rick. Sammy Rick likes Golden Showers. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yes, <laughs> they can be bitter. <laughs> they certainly can. <laughs> oh, all right. Let's move on before we uh, just devolve into total <laughs> childish behavior. Yes. <laughs> all right. So we're going to jump into our second film, which is Kill Zone, and I'll kick it over to you for some basic info, and we'll get started on. It. Um. Yeah. Again, I gosh, I hate to call it Kill Zone because I oh, know you can go ahead and call it its original title. But that, that, I just call it that so everybody out there can find it easily. Yes. Fair enough. I would say that. Sadly, it's known as Kill Zone. Uh, through our friends, the Weinsteins. <clears throat> and, you know, just to digress for just a moment, they have a really, I've said it before, they have a really bad habit of uh, of changing the names of movies that they've bought up um, when they once they bring them over to, uh, to the States. Like The Banquet, they call Legend of the Black Scorpion, which is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> that makes uh, no sense. It makes no sense. None. And then <laughs> uh, The Promise, um, they call, what do they call it? The, uh, the Master of the Crimson Armor. Again, fuck off. You know, yeah, that just, makes no sense either. <laughs> so, so stupid. They try and make them all look like these really, you know, kung fu kind of films. And the, the Banquet and The Promise aren't really those films. Uh, but yeah. anyway, I could just spend an hour ranting about that. This isn't the greatest summary, but it says, Chan, an articulate senior detective nearing the end of his career, is taking care of the daughter of a witness killed by ruthless crime lord Poe. Martial arts expert Ma is set to take over as head of the crime unit, replacing Chan, who wants an early retirement. I don't think that's entirely accurate. I would say... Uh, Correct me if you think I'm wrong. Basically, it's the story of a detective who has been try- trying and trying and trying to uh, take down a crime lord for quite some time and is willing to go to any means necessary to do so. He's about to, he's been forced into an early retirement by something, um, and it's, so his time's coming up very soon, and uh, Donnie Yen's character is the one taking over the unit. Um, I guess that would more describe mm-hmm. it. It's basically a vengeance film. Yeah. Um, so since I picked this film, uh, what did you think of it? All right, the first thing that uh, hops out, or hops out, pops out, whatever you want to say, hops, pops, I don't care. (laughs) While I piss on your face and you suck on my cock. Uh, (laughs) The first thing uh, that jumps out to me is, uh, I'm I'm, I'm never going to live that music's choice down. I don't even realize how offensive it was. (laughs) 
the first thing that jumps out to the film is uh, is the style of the film. Uh, it's very stylish. Uh, I thought it was going to take me out of the movie in the beginning, but actually it added a lot to the movie for me. I like my I like style in films, uh, even though you'll hear me rag about it sometimes. Uh, but I like it when it has substance to it, and this actually had a lot of substance to it. I like the choices. There was a great choice of using a red light in the very far background, which I always felt like was with like the director's choice to do that. Was like uh, whenever something really volatile or really angry was getting ready to happen, there was this red light flashing on a wall in the background. And I don't know if you picked up on that, but uh, I think he was, you know, trying to say, you know, there's anger, there's, you know, this this fury and stuff and, and you know, to go with these fight scenes and stuff. And I thought it was a real nice artistic choice to use that, uh, you know, that harsh red light. Uh, uh, it's in the background, thank God. It's not on the faces like Argento would do or something, but <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting. The lighting's interesting. The blending is the best way I can put it. The way he blends things with kind of a slow motion, kind of a blend is nice. Uh, there's a really great scene in the beginning where uh, the detective uh, hits uh, Samuel Hung's car oh, yeah. and then they and then they proceed to just keep running into each other. <laughs> yeah, It's like they're not going to get out and fight each other. They're just going to keep running into each other <laughs> with the cars, <laughs> which I really, really enjoyed. Uh, and uh, Speaking of Samuel, this is Samuel as a bad guy. And uh, Samuel's, you know, as usual, when this is our second film we've covered with Samuel in it, uh, even though the first one he was a, uh, you know, kind of an anti-hero. Samuel's always very charismatic, man. I mean, uh, he he just he continues to astound me, not only with his fighting abilities at his age and his size. And let me say, guys, Samuel is well over the two hundred pound range. I mean, oh, he's, yeah. what would you say Samuel is about two thirty, two forty, maybe? That's probably a safe uh, safe bet. And he's also fifty. He was fifty three years old when this film was made. So you're talking about a man who is two hundred and thirty to two hundred forty pounds, maybe more, in his fifties, and yet he hangs with Donnie Yen, who is like a physical specimen oh yeah and and let it be said that yen is also when this film was made was 43 years old so he's really taking care of himself yeah and yen is a physical specimen i don't know if if, if people aren't familiar with donnie yen get familiar with him he's he's one of the great uh hong kong uh martial arts actors Uh, and man the guy just has amazing talent which we'll get back to more yen here in a little bit yes but yeah, Samo is is on his game. That's in my notes right here. He's on it here. I mean, he's playing the bad guy. He's got an unfortunate goatee. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and a bit of a mullet actually going that hair. <laughs> I think you can see the mullet in the Kill Zone poster. Yeah, you yeah. can see it. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit of an unfortunate look, but uh, you know, Samo pulls it off, man. He. <laughs> he pulls it off, uh, you know, and the, the reason why I mentioned his. His bringing it. I mean, not only is he intimidating. There's a great scene where he's walking down in a, a crowd of gangs where you know this gang he owns, which obviously owns the whole city because it's the biggest gang I've ever seen. Oh yeah. He he kind of just walks down. He's hitting a bottle on a on a uh, kind of like a fence post or a, you know a guard that you'd have up on a staircase for people to walk up. Like a railing. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's just uh, he's a can't believe I didn't call it a railing. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> It's got like this thing that's like made out of steel and stuff. People hold it when they go downstairs. <laughs> yeah, man, I really shouldn't have smoked that joint before we did the show. Uh, either way, uh, that's what we're known for in Kentucky. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I think it's not called the Bluegrass State for nothing. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, he's he's walking down. He's very intimidating. I mean, he's a big man anyway, and and. He really pulls it off. And there are some moments where, you know, you get your traditional Hong Kong acting of overreacting to things. Like in the yeah. beginning where, you know, his wife has a miscarriage and stuff. And he gets really upset. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, not that you shouldn't get upset. but he... Yeah, not that you shouldn't get upset. But, I mean, I don't know about this kind of upset. I mean, this kind of was weird, weird reaction. But yeah, it was it was, it was was interesting. Yeah, he's really, really good in the film. I, I really, every time Samo's on screen, uh, that's the one thing you can always say about Samo is he's always 
interesting to watch. But this film, the difficult thing was, is you had three people in this film who are interesting to watch at once, uh, being Simon Yam, uh, Donnie Yen, and Samuel Hung. This is actually and our so second. So a lot uh, of time, yeah. What was that? What was that? I'm sorry. I was gonna say this is also your second uh, Simon Yam film, or our second yeah. Simon Yam film. Charisma these three guys have, and the kind of uh, the way they play off of each other and everything is really, really great. And so you don't have to watch one actor when you see these three on screen at once. You can watch all three, and it's really a pleasant uh, bit of casting and well done by the director to manage to mix up uh even though i think simon yam might have the most screen time in the film uh he manages to mix up these three kind of mega stars from hong kong uh, and and uses them very well in a very short run time and and gets them all a nice little background and things and uh you know i mean usually with these films what you'll find is like you know when i first saw this i thought okay we're gonna be watching a donnie yen film and samuel hung's the bad guy because that's what the box art tells you right that's what the, yeah yeah well even the chinese one has uh, uh yen and hung kind of locked arm in arm so yeah yeah so that's the film you think you're going to be watching you think you're going to be watching donnie yen versus samuel hung uh but you end up kind of you end up uh coming into the film and you end up really I, at least i did you end up really identifying with uh simon yam's character quite a bit mm-hmm. and uh his kind of brooding nature his kind of need for vengeance uh there's just a lot of great moments with him and uh yeah, this guy i mean he's just a, he's a major talent man and he's got a great face he's got a great reaction to uh you know things that happen and stuff i really really liked him in this film a lot and i'm glad that i'm getting more and more uh exposure to him because uh he really really impresses me he's definitely one of my favorite actors and johnny toe uses him a lot um and he plays bad so well he plays good so well this he kind of plays a cop on the edge a little bit or a very desperate cop um i don't know how to describe him to sort of north american audiences i guess maybe sort of like i like george clooney but all, uh simon has sort of a classic kind of um to me anyway sort of a classic kind of uh, leading man look um mm, i'm trying to think of who i can compare him to yeah clooney doesn't play even though clooney can play bad well he doesn't play it as good as not as good Yam as Sam. could he doesn't have that face i can't I really know. think of if i think of somebody i'll just blurt it out but i can't think of anybody off the top of my head yeah, but but Yam is so good. I mean, he, he plays good, but both so well. So there's this is basically a cop film with martial arts mixed in, and I like to say basically a vengeance film too. Uh, but it's short, it's sweet, it's to the point. Uh, well, it's not real short. It's actually longer than our other film, but it didn't feel like it at all. This is 97 minutes, 93 minutes, something like that. And and it, it, its runtime is is just right, and it really hauls ass through the whole film. I mean, there's slow moments in the film, but I never felt bogged down or bored. A lot of great shots of. Uh, a lot of great shots of uh, the beach and the water, and I guess there was something trying to be said there about peace and serenity, and I'm not going to go too much into that because the payoff's kind of there and stuff, so I don't want to say too much, but it's just, Wilson Yip, man, he really, really interests me, and I know we're very both, in, you know, very much both interested in his newest film, uh, Yip Man, and we can't wait to see that, and uh, he, he's definitely a director to watch. I mean, I don't know if all of his films are good. It's kind of the reverse of the uh, the last film we watched where, you know, we're kind of nervous to go back and look at any of that director's stuff, and this one, I'm sure he, he had some stuff where he, you know, did the basic stuff and maybe didn't have a lot of style but this film is an eye-opener i can tell you that for uh, wilson yip for me i've actually own a few wilson uh, wilson yip films uh, his sort of good run <clears throat> coincided with uh, teaming up with donnie yen uh, in spl they did dragon tiger gate which i don't think is very good um it's just got a lot of unfortunate kind of hair and tank tops and posing and and not enough uh fighting and flashpoint is another cop film it was supposed to actually be a prequel to um to spl hmm. but uh basically it's i think it's about 90 minutes long and the first 50 60 minutes are pretty boring and uneventful and almost no fighting but the last 25 minutes is fucking wall-to-wall uh action and martial arts so and then yes. you got ip man which some people 
are, are saying and proclaiming very loudly that it's one of the greatest martial arts films of all time. So, yeah, we, we certainly can't wait to see that. Yes. And then you get this interesting character who kind of comes out of nowhere, uh, at least in the film anyway. Well, actually, he doesn't come out of nowhere. He's kind of established in the very beginning. Uh, and I believe he's played by Wu Ping. Am I right? Uh, no, it's... Uh... Well, the, his his, Wu Jing, his I mean, Canadian I mean, name Wu Jing. Um, yeah, Wu, I, I got I got mixed up with Wu Ping. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got my pings and my jings mixed up, man. <laughs> you say ping, I say jing. Uh, yeah, Wu Jing. He comes out of he comes at it, and uh, what I do know about Wu Jing from doing some uh, research and stuff is that he was trained in the same uh, uh, opera company, I think. As uh, yeah, I think it's what they called as uh, Jackie Chan and Sammo actually were. I think so. I know he he trained at the Beijing Wushu Academy, which I think Jet Li might have trained there. I don't know for sure if he did or not. But Wu Jing either is- way. Yeah, he comes in this film and he's like a fucking tornado. Yep. <laughs> and he is like a force of nature. And uh, we'll get back to him again when we get to my make or break scene. But I mean, the assassin in white, what a great concept, you know? The assassin always wears black, but I, I love the fact that we got a guy wearing white denim jeans and, <laughs> and kicking ass. First of all, that he's wearing white denim jeans and not painting a wall or something's amazing to me. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, he is amazing in this film. He's got this great weapon he uses, and there's a great fight scene. Uh, I know some people think it's the best fight scene in the film. I don't know if I think it's the best fight scene in the film, but it certainly is one of the more impressive fight scenes I've ever seen. I did read some more research during the film and, uh, on the film and stuff before we did the show that uh, him and Yin didn't have a whole lot of rehearsal time for that fight scene, and they kind of just winged it, which, oh. uh, that's impressive. If, th- if that's the case, that's really impressive. Well, that's what happens when you get <clears throat> two first-class martial artists on screen together, and... And let me just say this, this was Wu Jing's breakout role, and he is the next big thing. Forget Tony Jaa, you know, he's a bit of a one-trick pony, Wu Jing mm. is the real deal. Yeah, yeah, no, he he definitely is. He's got charisma, uh, he's got, uh, he's, he's got, and his, oh man, he's just, he's amazing. He really is, I mean, he really is amazing. He reminds me of a young Donnie Yen, really. I mean, uh, a young Jet Li, that's who he reminds me of, actually. Yeah, he's good, man. He really is. Yeah, but those fight scenes are great. And then there's a, like I said, there's a fight scene between uh, Donnie Yen and Sammo that's just amazing. And you really, <laughs> you really need to see this film just to see this fight scene. <clears throat> Excuse me. They even break out the uh, professional wrestling moves. Yep. <laughs> They do. <laughs> I never thought I'd see a suplex in a martial arts film. And it looks but, awesome. Yes, and Donnie Yen and Sammo Hung are doing this stuff. You can't, well, I don't know if you can find a body double for Sammo Hung, but because uh, it'd be pretty hard. I mean, John it'd Goodman. Some dude, <laughs> yeah, it'd be some dude wearing a lot of padding. I can tell you that because Sammo's a pretty big boy. But uh, yeah, man, I mean, they're just going all out. You can just see this, uh, you know, insanity that this fight scene is. And, you know, that Donnie Yen did the fight choreography in this film. And, Every time he's ever done that that I've ever seen him do, it's always amazing. I mean, this guy is just, he just, he astounds me every time uh, with his, you know, you just when you think, with as many martial arts films as there are out there, you would think, okay, I've seen this fight, I've seen this fight. You know, you're not going to bring anything new to, the, new to the table. But yet, every time I see a Donnie Yen film, it seems like he always brings something new to the fight table. And actually, you know, Sammo brought some new stuff too. I mean, Sammo was, <laughs> I mean, I was laughing and with glee at Sammo yeah. Hung in this film. <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, certainly. I just did not expect as much action as I got from Samuel. I expected him to play the, the heavy, no pun intended, Samuel. <laughs> I expect him just to play the heavy and uh, sit back and chill and let all of his goons and, uh, you know, Wu Jing and everything take care of everything. But that's not what I got. What I got was eventually Samuel saying, oh, yeah. And that goes to the ending of the film, which I'm not going to give away, but it was a great ending. Uh, uh, just It just... 
it's very poetic and at the same time comes out of nowhere. I just really like the ending of the film a lot. I mean, I, I have to say, I mean, I really like this movie a lot. I'd seen the box art and the DVD for quite some time. I just never got around to watching it. I, with Asian cinema, one of the reasons for doing this podcast for me was to get back into Asian cinema because I was into it for a long time and then I burned myself out and I got away from it. And, you know, then we started talking and listening to the podcast and stuff and we started talking about martial arts films again. I couldn't wait to get back into more Asian cinema. And there's so much I missed because I went away from it. And so I'm very happy to be back into it and stuff. And this is this is one of those great martial arts films that wonders basically Basically, it wanders kind of into the you know art film world a little bit, but trust me when I tell you, this guy's you'll never be bored watching this movie. It's just it's so much fun. It's just it's so much fun. That's really all my notes I have on this. I'm gonna kick it over to you and let you go for some things. Okay, I got a lot of notes. I will try and zip through them though. I say that every week. Um, SPL. The title is actually the the term Sat Polong or Shat Polang. It's in accordance or it's um, it's referencing Chinese astrology. Three stars in Chinese astrology. Um, I don't know more than that, but I figured it was worth bringing up. You had mentioned the beach. I thought the way they framed those shots on the beach was real nice. It looked really yeah. good. You could see that there was um, some skill there from Yip and, and his crew. Um, and you'd talked about this as well. Just seeing Sam was the bad guy is nice for a change. Um, you know, Sam was one of those guys. He's just so likable that you almost think, geez, is, you know, is he going to be able to pull it off? But he pulls it off pretty well. I mean, he is very menacing. He, You know, he's very physical. Yeah. And, you know, they throw some tattoos on him and a goatee and, like you said, an unfortunate <laughs> mullet. And, you know, he just, he kind of makes it work. Well, he definitely makes it work. And, you know, at the end of the film, like you'd said, it's usually sort of the cliche of, get him, boys. You know, and all the goons <laughs> yeah. kind of rush in. But Samuel proves why he was at the top of the heap, why he was the head of the, you know, head of uh, of that, that crime family, because he was the right. baddest motherfucker in the room. Yes. You know, <laughs> to he, say the least. To say the least. <laughs> you know, so that you certainly see that. And and like I I'd said, uh, just very, very good performance by him. Um, and yeah, you, you touched on this. It's a great cast. The four main people in the film are all great in that you get Yen and Hung, who are two absolute icons and legends of kung fu and martial arts cinema. Uh, you get Wu Jing, who, like I said, in my opinion, is the next uh, the next big thing. It's a shame he has, has an already kind of busted out, uh, you know, and, and like I said, I don't want to slag on Tony Jocks. I like him. I like the stunt work he does, but... You know, I think he gets, he gets, uh, people were too quick to kind of christen him as, you know, the next Bruce Lee. And I said, you know, hang on a second. I mean, those are real, you know, that's a pretty heavy uh, crown you're hanging on this kid. So, you know, uh, I'm a little apprehensive to do that. Like I said, I, I'll take Wu Jing over him. I, I think Wu Jing's got a little more charisma. Um, right. And then, you got, of course, you got Simon Yim, who is a great, great actor. He's someone, for me, that's always a joy to watch in films. Um, he was, of the four main guys, he was the only one that doesn't really know martial arts. Yeah, yeah. You know. I had a feeling of that. I mean, you don't really see any scenes of him doing any martial arts, I believe. There might be a couple of moments where he's doing a little bit a of little physical fighting. stuff, but he doesn't... Yeah, he doesn't do a lot of martial arts, and I don't know Simon Yam as uh, as a martial artist. I know Simon Yam as a uh, well, I know him as Johnny, one of Johnny Toe's favorite. That's how I know him, really. Mm-hmm. So that's where I know him from. So I didn't expect anything but some pretty good acting from him because it seems like every time I see him, he does pretty good acting. So oh yeah, and it, just a little piece of trivia. I think his brother is like the chief of police in one of the major uh, districts in. Uh in, in, in Hong Kong and that's why he never really got bothered by the triad too much uh, as uh-huh. an upcoming actor I think I'd read that but anyway I thought it just is a very very small thing but I thought it was interesting that they showed in near the beginning of the film uh, EM eating with a fork instead of uh, chopsticks yeah, I, yeah you don't see that too often in in, uh, in films that's true and I'd it's true. be curious to know maybe if there's a commentary track 
excuse me, on the DVD, why they, they chose to go that route. There is a commentary track on the DVD, uh, another Bay Logan classic. Oh, nice. <laughs> I'll have to maybe I'll sing out the unfortunately titled Killzone uh, edition, because I have the, Ch- I have the uh, Chinese uh, version of it. Um, yeah. There's a great line in the film. Uh, what happens is one of the cops is going to go undercover into Samuel's gang to try and get a little more information so they can finally put him away. And one of them, you can kind of get the sense he's kind of scared of... Uh, what's going to happen to him. And Simon, right. Simon Yam's character says to him, in a nutshell, I'm sort of paraphrasing, basically to die isn't the worst thing that can happen to you um, as a police officer. Uh, as, as a cop, the worst thing that can happen to you is being bullied by the criminals, you know, and allowing them yeah. to dictate uh, things. And I, I really liked that. I thought it was very commendable. Uh, not commendable. Yeah, I like that, that he also said that he takes care of his people. Yes. He takes care of his uh, officers or whatever. And, and, you know, very very father figure-like for this young cop, who we won't go into too much detail about the young cop. But, yeah, I like those moments. Simon Yam's really got this great uh this great face you can trust him and at the same time uh you don't trust him it's a really it's a weird blend yeah and he you know you get a real sense of of that his team his guys will do anything for him because they trust him absolutely they know that you can tell these guys have been working on on uh, samuel's uh crime syndicate for a while and i mean you get that that sort of brotherhood or that sense from them from that the mm-hmm. squad, which I really like. Yeah, yeah. Getting Real back. team mentality. It's really, really great. The Magnificent Four, basically. Yeah, yeah. They're <laughs> they're going to do whatever it takes to nail them. And um, a technical point, I like the little bright Brady Bunch <laughs> little uh, sequence where the four of them, they're kind of their their heads pop up in squares and they're talking about. Donnie Yen's character because he's the the <laughs> inspector that's come to take over uh, Yam's team. Uh-huh. So that was kind of interesting. You know, we get to see sort of Brady Bunch uh, influenced cinematography <laughs> in a film uh, from Hong Kong. That's what they're. Is that what they're reminiscing about the Donnie Yen uh, devastating punch? Oh, that turned him into a halfwit. Yes, yes, yes. That was which, it. which you know, that's one thing about this film. I don't know if it's does something in Chinese culture or not, but they have no problem whatsoever in uh, overperforming when it comes to playing somebody that is mentally deficient. There's no subtlety involved. <laughs> <laughs> There's two mentally deficient uh, characters in this film. <laughs> yeah. And both of them, if they were an American film, there would be such an uproar. <laughs> yeah, there would be. It's it's like it's like uh, radio. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, the, the character 10. with the video camera in the film, oh my God, dude. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll get to him actually in a moment. <laughs> he was a little, uh, a little over the top. One thing that's interesting, you wouldn't notice it unless you watch a lot of Asian films. It's very interesting to see nudity and drug use in a Chinese film. Yes, That's it's very interesting to see that period, but yeah, <laughs> you're, right. you're right, yeah, you don't normally see it in these films. Actually, I was kind of surprised when I saw that. I was like, huh. It was short, but again, that's because they have very strict sort of morality laws, uh, China being mm-hmm. a communist country and so forth, but right. um, that's the thing. You may see a lot of violence in, in films, but you don't get a lot of swearing, a lot of nudity, and a lot of drug use uh, in yeah. these films. Um, so it was kind of interesting to see that a little bit. What else do I got? There was a great scene when the team goes down to the beach with uh, the little girl that, that Yam has uh, basically adopted. Uh, mm-hmm. And they're all kind of talking about... Um, they're off on their own with the little girl, and they're talking about uh, this you know, this new guy and, and taking care of Yam's daughter uh, when he's not around and stuff and all this. And, and uh, Yam's talking to Yen about his team, and he basically says to him, you know, uh, Yen says to him, uh, well, which one's the best and he says well they're all very capable but you know words are basically cheap he goes you'll see i can't remember what he says but what he had said was do you remember what he said there no i don't remember exactly what he said but it had something to do with allegiance and uh things like that it was a really good moment between uh yam and yin 
Yeah. It's kind of hard to say, yam and yin. But it was a really great moment between them. That was one of the first times I noticed, as we talked about jokingly, the uh, Donnie Yin pose. With the hands on the hips. He, 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 it's become a running <laughs> joke with people that he he's always preening and posing in his films, and he's got to look good. And Yeah, he does that a little bit. He wears the tight tank tops, and you know his hair is always good. But, you know, I mean, if, if that's the price we got to pay to see him you know, kick ass uh, for eight you know, a lot of people, Yeah, what a lot of people don't know about Donnie Yin is he's actually, I think he was raised in Boston. I didn't know that either. He was actually raised in Boston, and he speaks Mandarin and Cantonese and stuff, and he learned that on his own. But, uh, yeah, I believe he was actually born in the United States. Wow. I did not know that. You How know about that? Wow. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, that's really impressive because a lot of times when you get to actors that speak Cantonese or Mandarin in films and they're not from there, uh, they get blasted in any Asian country. Well, actually, he was born, I believe, yeah, he was born in China. I'm looking it up now. But I believe he spent most of his uh, youth, I believe, in Boston. I believe I read that somewhere. So that's really go ahead, keep talking. I'll I'll look through that stuff. Yeah, that's impressive. There's a Canadian actor, Edison Chen, I believe it. I think that's who it is. Edison Chen. Uh, He actually just got sort of blackballed from Hong Kong cinema for a big sex scandal with um, with the twins. They're sort of a pop duo slash actresses. Um, He got caught with a bunch of nudie photos of him and one of them and a bunch of other Chinese actresses, and he basically got exiled because... Oh, yeah, that just happened recently, right? Yeah, and it was a real shitstorm. He had to leave there. He got death threats because one of the girls that he was with, um, her uncle was basically one of the scariest mobsters in Hong Kong. Oh, yeah, um, there you go. Yeah, so I think he's back in Canada now. And But he got a little bit criticized because some of his, like, his uh, uh, pronouncing of words wasn't exactly uh, right on. But anyway... Um, there's yeah, a- here you go. Donnie Yen uh, was born in Canton, China, but then when he was 11, he moved to uh, Boston. And then uh, when he turned like 16, 17, they sent him back. They sent him to the Wushu Academy. Oh, so he spent six years here. Yeah, so he speaks fluent English, fluent Cantonese, and fluent Mandarin. So, Oh, good. Pretty fucking impressive. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's that's good to know. He's uh, actually learned his martial arts from his mother in the beginning. and I didn't know that, too. We're getting a little Donnie Yen history going here. But, yeah, his mom started teaching him Tai Chi and Wushu when he was uh, four years old. Yeah, they're more graceful, so... Um, that that yeah, that makes sense. Well, that's interesting, man. I, I never would have had any idea that he ever. Uh, no, n- neither would I. As a matter of fact, when I read that, I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" Yeah, no, that's very interesting. There's a scene where there's a daydream of Yam. You see, he walks up to Sam when he basically blows his head, off, not blows his head off, but he puts a bullet in his head, and mm-hmm. you see shortly after it's it's a daydream. And I like that they put that. in. It's one of those things that you and I have talked about before in films where you know that characters are usually thinking something. For, for sometimes for them to say it or for it to be illustrated visually, it gives it a nice sense of believability or, or it conveying the frustration. Frustration he feel he felt by the sort of um, rigid confines of the justice system. You know? All right, no, this is an instance where the flashback or the daydream sequence is used well, as opposed to our first film today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you were talking about the mentally challenged boy with the uh, videotape. Um, oh wow! You know, I felt really bad for him because I, the one cop uh, he's sort of browbeating him. He's really you know abusing him. Um, yeah, that's putting it lightly, actually. I think he calls him stupid. Uh, he tears up, messes up all of his stuff. Yeah, it, that to me, I can understand that these cops sort of played fast and loose with the rules and cop on the edge. But I thought they took it a little bit far because it's one thing, one thing to make them kind of anti-heroes or um, kind of nasty. But for him to verbally and, and slightly physically abuse a mentally challenged young man... 
um, <laughs> was really despicable and, and very mean spirited because you can see he kind of tears up the kid's place uh, needlessly. Yeah, it really made that character hard for me to like. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene later where you know you see him making a phone call and stuff, and I'm supposed to identify with him a little bit and stuff, and I did a little bit, but at the same time I couldn't forget the you know harassment of the mentally challenged kid, and I was like, yeah, they really, I just don't understand why they had to be in there. They could have said, hey, get get the tape from this kid, take care of that situation. You never even had to show that scene of him. That whole scene of him harassing the mentally challenged kid is needless in the film. It is needless. It's I, I would agree with that, and I think or it just yeah, it didn't do anything to advance the film. Um, nope. So I didn't really care for that. Uh, there's a great, great foot chase scene on the rooftops with uh, this sort of goon of Samos. It was sort of a top hat or kind of droogy looking uh, Chinese guy. Uh, and the the four cops. Um, I yeah. really thought that was a nice little foot chase scene. Um, and I thought it really, again, illustrated their brutality and that they're not the white hats uh, all the time. <clears throat> right, right. You know, so I thought that worked really well. And that was something I really liked. I liked how brutal they were and how they were willing to go to almost any extreme to, to nail him because they were just desperate to, you know, it was like they were playing by a different set of rules, which you see a lot in these movies, but I thought it was really good. Mm-hmm. The sort of the theme of fatherhood and uh, and sort of children and, and actually the, the the movie culminates the, the on Father's Day, so I just yeah. I thought it was sort of an interesting um, an interesting thing for them to do. Yeah, no, there's a lot of father figure symbolism in the film. Really, when you think about it, there's a lot of it. Uh, Yam is kind of a uh, you know he's a father figure obviously to the little girl, but he's also kind of a brotherly father figure to to Maul, you know, Donnie Yen's character a little bit. Samo's obviously a father figure to, uh, you know, Wu Jing's character and a couple others, and uh, as well as the gang, that big gang itself. Yes, yes. I mean, he's like the big patriarch, you know, this big, uh, you know, it, it's, it's really an interesting, when you think about it, that's really the underlying theme of the film seems to be fathers and, uh, you know, our responsibility as fathers and stuff. And that might sound like it's a pretty deep meaning, but if you watch the film, you'll you'll get that vibe from a lot of the characters in the film. A lot of them are talking about their families or their they're even talking about their dads, you know, or, you know, their children or whatever. There's a lot of those themes in here. So, yeah, I'm glad you noticed that because I noticed that too. I mean, uh, it was a nice touch. Yeah, it was. And there's a great scene. I, I didn't write it down, but a great, great scene when Yen, or Yam is showing Yen around basically uh, the neighborhood that he's going to be in charge of. Yeah. And uh, it involves a character walking on some broken glass, which I thought was an awesome, tense tense scene. Yes, yes it was. Uh, another thing I really like, I love Hong Kong films that they sort of have these cop on a mission films at night. Johnny Toe's done a couple of these, like PTU and The Longest Night, where I can't really put it in words, but you get some shots of the Hong Kong skyline and you get this it's just almost all at night and it just gives it this vibe that I really really like yes uh, you know what it reminded me of it reminded me of uh, how Michael Mann shoots Los Angeles yes Uh, how you know he can make such a city and I'm not saying Los Angeles is a a rough well it can be rough in spots and stuff but man made structures uh, Hong Kong's a pretty good example you know they can be beautiful and uh, this really is some of the best looking Hong Kong photography I've ever seen I mean it really is it looks like it felt like Los Angeles to me I don't know if you got that feeling but that's what it felt like to me I mean I knew it was Hong Kong but it, it felt like you know like, like a Michael Mann film in a lot of ways I think it didn't for me but I think that it would have for you because like you would said you nailed it was how man shoots LA at night and stuff and, and mm-hmm. the, the architecture and so forth I think it just you kind of put the two together based on that yeah you know what I mean? Yeah, I can think of no other. I can think of no other American director I know of, except maybe Scorsese, who uh, maybe Woody Allen, who yeah, yeah knows how to shoot New York better. Woody Allen's a little bit different. It's more like an intimate New York. Yeah, he knows how to shoot. Uh, but Scorsese knows how to shoot New York probably better than any director. And uh, Michael Mann 
knows how to shoot uh, Chicago and Los Angeles probably better than any director I can think of. Although Christopher Nolan did a damn good job, and I have to admit in the Batman films of Chicago. So oh yeah, with Chicago. So no, you're right. Um, there's a great scene where Wu Jing's character uh, is at a rooftop sort of soccer field. I thought it was just really, really brutal. I mean, in a good way. Yeah, that scene will come back up. Trust me. Uh, just a great, great scene. Um, and that's the thing I really love about this film. A lot of people have to put this film in context and understand that in 2005, Hong Kong was kind of on its deathbed. Uh, myself included, I'd said, oh, forget Hong Kong, man. They're done. They're dead. Their films are trash. Because Korea was still going strong. Japan was consistently strong. Um, some of the smaller Asian countries were on the up and up. Um, and it just seemed like Hong Kong could just knock it out of their own way. They were just making garbage. Um, and this film was one that kind of re-sparked... Well, you know, you, you always had a few filmmakers like Wong Kar Wai and Johnny To that were sort of carrying the torch for, for uh, Hong Kong. But beyond that, I mean, there really wasn't a lot other than the occasional Infernal Affairs type film. But um, this, I remember when I first watched this film, I thought, Hong Kong is fucking back. You know, because yeah. it's such a brutal film and well done. I just, I was really, that's the thing that impressed me the most about the film was uh, was how brutal it was. And it was nice to see Hong Kong back after a bit of a, a dry spell. Right, You know, right. Uh, like you get stuff like the misting from the gunfire that we both really loved in Johnny Toe films. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I, you know, is, is really nice to look at. Uh, I won't talk about my make or break yet. I think it's going to be different from yours, um, but I'll talk about it later on. Uh, I do want to say that all the fight scenes were very well choreographed, and again, you touched on Yen being the one that, that choreographed them. This is how you choreograph and film fight scenes. Hollywood needs to take note. I know they film things in too tight a lot of times to cover up some of the deficiencies and shortcomings of the people involved with the fight sequences, but if yep. you're gonna if you're gonna do a fight sequence, get the, the horses that can make it run for you. Because by you doing it in tight, it just becomes annoying and frustrating and muddles what's happening. Bring a right. Yuan Wu Ping or, or Donnie Yen or someone over here to show you how it's done properly. Mm-hmm. Because you can see that in this film. There's uh, no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, again you touched on the, the throwdown with Sam Samo and Donnie. Just again to see two icons kind of duking it out was uh, a joy. And like you said, I, I sort of had that glee, sort of the the seal clapping his hand laughing a bit uh, at that I think it's just incredible um, I want to ask you did the film you watched did it end on the beach yes okay because there's two different endings uh, I won't talk about it now if someone watches it and they want to know what the other ending is I'd be happy to tell them but I don't want to spoil it on the show because it would be a large spoiler but basically the ending in mainland China and the ending internationally are two very different endings that completely change the tone and outlook and, and everything else of the film so right. um, I don't want to get into that too much. But um, that's really all I got. I'll go ahead and go over my stuff. Uh, my make or break scene. Uh, this is not a break, so that's good. Uh, I really, 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 and I mean, I say when I say really, I mean I really like uh, the scene on the rooftop, the sort of uh, rooftop soccer yard, which is uh, basically what it is. I mean, Hong Kong's a very urban city, not a lot of land around, a lot of buildings and structures and things, so I guess they put a lot of their parks and things on concrete so it was kind of odd to see that because i'm not used to that here but there's a scene where you know they're all up there and, and then they all go away and you get this kind of ominous feeling and uh and then the character that uh, Wu Jing plays shows up and it's just an amazing shot a way that it pans across one character's face and then it pans back across and you see Wu Jing coming and it's like oh fuck man you're in so much trouble because <laughs> you already know at this point what this guy can do so oh man and I'm sitting there thinking the whole time you know when he's coming at him like dude pull your gun you know pull your gun what the fuck are you waiting for <laughs> yeah it's obvious there's going to be an issue here <laughs> this isn't going to end well <laughs> you know and he's sitting there smoking a cigarette and I'm like come on dude 
you know. But the kind of feeling of that, I've always liked those long shots of something coming towards you, and you know you're fucked, but yep. you can't really. There's like nothing you can do about it. You know, it's like you see your whole life flash before your eyes. Anyway, it's just a great moment, and then with a great brutal fight scene, just that whole thing. It kind of captures for this for me. It was between this and of course the fight at the end with Donnie Yen and Sammo Hung, which is just balls out crazy. But this one had that feeling I liked a lot, which is what the film reminded me of. of uh, kind of the setups and stuff what Wilson Yip did well in this film was set things up and kind of set tension well like you said with the bottle the, the broken bottle with the foot and stuff mm-hmm. uh, there's just a lot of moments where he sets up tension and this is one of the better ones that I can think of I mean he really sets it up well and I was as as Wu Jing's walking toward the other character I'm getting more and more excited as the walking you know progresses so <laughs> he set it up really well okay so my MVT well this is kind of impossible for me not to say it's it's Donnie Yen without a doubt I mean he did the fight choreography in this film he still Still, to me, is one of the best working today. He's amazing uh, at his age. Uh, still, his versatility and the way he gets around. And that's not taking anything from Samo or Wu Jing or any of these other guys or even Simon Yam's great acting. It's just, or even Wilson Yip's really good direction in this film. It's just when you think about everything he did behind the scenes and then you see these fight scenes in the film. I mean, you know you're watching a martial arts film, so that's what you're going to be looking for. And the martial arts in this film are just amazing. Everybody in this film is pretty amazing. And when I read that uh, the scene between him and Wu Jing was uh, hardly rehearsed, it really is amazing to me that uh, that happened. Because you would think that uh, it would be very rehearsed because it's a very fast and frenetic, kind of insane fight scene between him and Wu Jing. So you would think that that was very uh, carefully uh, choreographed, but uh, evidently it wasn't. So that makes it even that much more amazing. And for me, that justifies even more that Donnie Yen is the MVT of this film. Uh, my score for the film, uh, it's going to be a 8.5. Wow. I really, really like this movie. I mean, uh, this is one I'd watch over and over and over again. It's one I'm going to show to people. Whenever they ask about a you know a recent martial arts film, this is going to be the first one that comes to the top. Say, so, oh, yeah, man, check out uh, Killzone, Sotpot Low, or Long, or whatever. You know, whatever you call it. <laughs> I, I saw one of the other alternate U.S. titles was Kill the Broken Tiger. No, Kill the Broken Wolf, I think it was. Oh, Kill the Broken Wolf. Yeah, that was it. Kill what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you could like add like kill the broken wolf at midnight and turn it into it's something yellow. like it's yellow. <laughs> <laughs> But it's insane. But I mean, this will be the first one I show uh, a lot of friends when they want to know about a you know recent or even I used to show when it came to Donnie Yen. I used to show a lot of people, uh, you know, Once Upon a Time in China or uh, even Hero or something like that. Or Iron Monkey. Uh, yeah, or Iron Monkey, which is just a fucking insane movie. I mean, I, I love Iron Monkey. Uh, but this would probably be the first uh, Donnie Yen I'd show him now, just because the fight scenes in this are just amazing. And that's pretty much all I got for that. Alrighty. My make or break is different from yours. There's a lot of great scenes in this, and the thing I want to commend the film about as well is a lot of times when you get martial arts films, everything else except the martial arts is simply filler. But you don't get Mm -hmm. that with this. You get good acting, you get uh, very competently filmed stuff, you get interesting relationships, you know, you get a lot of stuff that makes the stuff beyond the martial arts more than just filler. I want to comment on that, but my make or break is amongst many. I mean, you could put a few in a hat, but this, when I think of this film, the scene I always think of is the alleyway fight scene between Wu Jing and Donnie Yen. Um, yeah. It is just incredible. It, to me, is the best fil- fight put on film in recent years, bar none. I mean, yeah. I, I think the one with um, Samuel is really good, but this one, just the speed that these two are going at with the weapons and everything else, uh, it's shot in this sort of really, it's like a white-tiled alleyway. Uh, Donnie's all in black, um, Wu Jing's all in white. Oh, it's just, man, it's two guys that are just absolute pros at what they do. 
and uh, mm-hmm. it just it's so impressive I mean I've watched that fight scene maybe 15 times and I just even when I haven't watched the film I'll go you know and watch the fight scene on its own it's just yeah. it's so it's incredible pretty, it's pretty amazing <laughs> it really really is my MVT like you'd said it's kind of hard to not choose Yen despite Yam putting in a great performance despite Sammo despite mm-hmm. the the great sort of supporting role of Wu Jing um, this is you know sort of the Donnie Yen show uh, he choreographed the fights he is uh, one of the the principles in it um just yeah i mean he's he's my mvt uh my score for the film is an eight out of ten uh it's a little lower than yours um it's not to discredit the film i mean eight's a very respectable score um and i also agree that if you're going to show someone a modern martial arts film done well that doesn't fall into the usual traps of um fighting for the honor of my school or my teacher or my brother or any of this uh this is the film to show them because it's it's a cops and robbers or a cops and gangsters film. It's brutally violent with some incredible kung fu and martial arts in it. And that is uh, that is correct. And that's it. <laughs> that's all I got. Eight out of ten. Nice. So you could, we had an interesting show this week because you got one that we both didn't really like, and then one we both really like a lot. Yeah, and it's funny because both of them. One is an Eastern film that's very violent for uh, beyond its the, the norm of of the genre, and the other one is a Western that is violent beyond the norms of the genre. So I thought that was kind of interesting. All right. So that is. Uh, Killzone. That's the title you can look for it under. There's other titles and stuff, but if you guys want to look for it, look for it under Killzone here in the uh, States. It's actually readily available on the Dragon Dynasty label. And uh, again, another good commentary from Bay Logan. I've only listened to about 20 minutes of it, but as usual with Bay Logan, he knows his shit. So definitely check it out. I would definitely recommend owning this one. I can tell you that. So Yeah, it's an own. Any, any martial yeah. arts fan or action or, or Asian cinema fan should own this film. You will not be disappointed. I promise you that. Nope. All right. With all that being said, we'll go ahead and take uh, another break and we'll come back with some feedback. Hello? Is anyone out there? This is Brother D. Is, is anyone else alive? You know, you'd think with all the zombie movies I watch and review for Mail Order Zombie over at www.mailorderzombie.com, I would have been better prepared for the zombie uprising. I mean, every week I'd watch anywhere from one to three zombie movies, and my wife, Miss Bren, would join me in every episode to go over listener mail and even occasionally join me in a review of a zombie movie herself. But now, we woke up one morning and the zombies have taken over. Miss Bren went scouting for supplies, but she's been gone a long time, so I went out to look for her, and now now I just wish I'd stay home and watched more zombie movies for everyone, weeding out the good ones from the bad. What? Wait a minute. Who's there? Miss Bren? You're not Miss Bren. Oh, oh no. Send more podcasters. All right, we are back. That song sounds like it might be about love. All right. I don't think it's about sucking cock and pissing on faces, though. <laughs> nope. Not that kind uh, of love, anyway. <laughs> no, no, not that kind of love. Again, I'll, I'll, I won't live that one down nope. for a while. <laughs> We are back with some feedback, and I, I thought I'd take a cue from uh, uh, Bill over at Outside the Cinema with a little uh, intro feedback music uh, this week, uh, just to you know, just to kind of get this little song out there. So let me go ahead and play this before we start jumping into our emails here and get us going. Oh, 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 oh,
And now, listener feedback. Everybody was kung fu fighting. Those kids were fastest. All right, so what I basically did was I went and, uh, for the feedback, I always try to take my shirt off and splash on a little high karate before we start reading off the emails, so... <laughs> So I figured, you know, since since Will last uh, week or so has, you know, been wearing the red leather pants and no shirt, I figured I'd join in on the fun a little bit. <laughs> all right, all right, we'll go over some uh, emails. I'll go ahead and kick it over to you. Okay, the first one is from Barb. It says Ken Russell is batshit crazy and awesome. Rough sex with a nun. Hello, gents. I freaking love Ken Russell. I too saw Gothic as a child, but thought it was the greatest thing ever. Yes, I was a weird kid. I also loved Lair of the White Worm and Altered States. Horror was a bit disappointing, though. I'd really like to see the big racket, but I don't think I can handle it. I can handle exploitation, but not cruelty and rape. I pretty much went to my special place when the scene with the doll was mentioned. Uh, I oh, guess yeah. I could see this if I cheated. Fast forward, but I hate to do that. Toodles, Barb. And don't <laughs> worry, I'm not disappointed in waiting for Kim Ki-duk. Just impatient. <laughs> I can understand maybe a little bit of hesitancy toward the uh, big racket. Uh, they are some pretty awful rape scenes and stuff. Um, I guess it depends on your taste. I mean, if you really don't like rape scenes, you could fast forward through them. I mean, you really don't need them, I don't think. I mean, I, I wouldn't, you know, I mean, I, I, of course, would say watch them. It's kind of like the argument of uh, Cannibal Holocaust, which is a film that I both love and hate at the same time. Yeah. Uh, you know, do you watch it with the animal cruelty in it? Yeah, I think you need to watch it that way once. But... I think after you've seen it, it'll stick with you forever. You'll never need to watch that stuff again. Nope, I'll never forget the shell ripping of the turtle or anything. It's just, oof. Yeah, it'll stick with you forever. And uh, since I, since then, I've watched it a couple of times, and I will not watch it without... I will not watch those scenes. Uh, I just will not. It's a personal choice, and uh, I stick by it. And the same way with the rape scenes. I feel the same way. A lot of people uh, can't handle them, and I can understand that. They're awful. It's an awful situation. Uh Male or female, uh, you know, we don't see you don't see a lot of male rapes in films, but uh, occasionally in a prison film or something, you'll see something like that, and that's just as awful. I mean, it's just awful all the way around. So yeah, no good you know, can be had from rape. No, so I can understand. And uh, to be honest with you, if I watched The Big Racket again, I don't know if I'd watch the rape scenes. I think I'd kind of kind of skip skim through them a little bit. They're not not as bad as the one uh, the one rape scene I always seem to remember is the one from Death Wish Two. Um, I think that's the one where I don't want his to... daughter. Yeah. yeah, do you think I should give say anything? Well, that's yeah. I was gonna say I didn't know if we should. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't say anything. Well, if you haven't seen Death Wish 2, check it out. But uh, that one is this. Oh man, fucking awful. <laughs> yeah, there's there's some there's a lot of bad ones out there. Um, yeah, let's, let's get off the rape topic. <laughs> yeah, I'll jump into our next voicemail, which is from Bjorner. Uh, he says, "Good evening, gents. Handing in my notes and thoughts on the awesomeness that is Stone Cold." Here we go. If I do repeat some of your notes, I'm just in shock and awe still. <laughs> First off, what heinous evil has Rich Crackers done to the criminals in this world? The boss is badass. From the two-tone mullet, Candyman's leather coat, to the smug look on his face, this dude is action. When he first comes in, he made me think of a bastard child of Lundgren and Arnold, but I digress. <laughs> That's actually a pretty good uh, description of it. Yeah. The smoothie he makes for his pet Komodo made me laugh when he first cracks the egg but leaves the shells in the blender. Martha Stewart would get evil on his butt. I gotta give out some best ever for this movie. Uh, number one, best strip club name ever, which I can't remember the name of the strip club. Do you remember? Oh, it? I, no, I can't. And Was it the hole, the dirty hole or something? Or <laughs> No, I don't remember. <laughs> It has to be pretty good if it's better than the Wonder from Dust Till Dawn. Which titty, is the twister? titty Twister? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, best paint job on the bike ever. I mean, a mullet sporting skull. That was awesome. 
<laughs> and uh, best game of pool ever. Topless, big-breasted biker chicks would surely beat me. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, to get kind of serious on this, this brought me back to when I was a kid and I had so much fun with it. It is a good time. Nothing more, nothing less. Perfect beer and pizza movie. Keep bringing these gems to us, and, as I trust you will. Keep on trucking, and remember, eat your grub if you want to be studs. From <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> Bjorner. <laughs> Gotta eat your grub if you want to be a stud. <laughs> Oh, boy. Yeah, the awesomeness that is Stone Cold, uh, I'll be honest with you, when we first started talking about the podcast, that was one of the first films that came up just because I never thought it got the appreciation it deserved. And uh, it seems to be the one that's sticking with us the longest. People really love that we covered uh, Stone Cold, and rightfully they should. It's a it's a very, very entertaining late 80s, early 90s action film. Everybody should check it out. Yeah, I'll put it in the pantheon, like I said on the show, of great 80s action movies. And I had dismissed it as well. I'm so happy you turned me on to that one because it's a great great 80s action film even though it's yep. i think 1990 but whatever it's an 80s action film <laughs> oh yeah well it's it's uh it's it's hanging on to the 80s by by a mullet hair <laughs> <laughs> or a, or a bikini underwear thread <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> Um, the next one is titled Southern Comfort. It's from Paul M. Hey guys, love the show. I've listened to you from the start, but I haven't been moved to email till now. Last night I watched Walter Hill's Southern Comfort On Demand. On, On Demand. I'd love to hear what you guys think of it. It was a big movie on cable when we first got it in the early 80s, and I saw it a bunch of times, but I forgot about it till it popped up on on demand. Powers Booth is really good, made my favorite performance from him, other than his role in Frailty. Anyway, I'm sure you guys have probably seen it, but I don't remember hearing you mention it. Keep up the good work. Paul M., Clawson, Michigan. Well, do you want to answer this one first? Uh, sure. I have actually never seen this. Uh, sadly, as much as I'm a big fan of Walter Hill and of The Booth, I haven't seen it, so I can't really contribute much other than to say... I would like to. I will also say, uh, without any shame, that I have never watched Southern Comfort. Uh, I need to check it out. I am a huge fan of Walter Hill, and you actually will be uh, hearing us review a Walter Hill with Powers Booth film in the near future called Extreme Prejudice. So, uh, Walter Hill is one of the unsung heroes of uh, genre cinema from the 70s and 80s. Uh, most people know him, of course, from The Warriors and a couple other films, but man, he really, he really got a bad rep, and his films are straightforward and simple and he reminds me of Casillari that's what he reminds me of so. oh that's not a bad comparison actually that's a really good comparison when you think yeah. about it because his, his films are like no you know they don't waste any time they just kind of churn on through and they're very simple story structures and Pacey kinda, I really like that Pacey kind of set pieces and mm-hmm. yeah no that's that's, uh, that's interesting yeah yep so you will be hearing some Walter Hill love because we both do love the hill so hells yeah <laughs> that'll be more alright our next email is from uh, one Mr. Naked Eskimo you can check out his blog at Naked Eskimo I believe so here we go uh, the name of this one is in hell indeed uh, I do not know how it ends but I will say in hell at the beginning was not what I was after when I added it to my queue this is a Van Damme movie he's talking about I had in my mind death warrant and what I got was more akin to an episode of Oz Ooh. Uh, the film got to a fairly unnerving prison rape scene here we go you know every show has something and I guess rape is going to be our thing <laughs> yeah come for the rape talk and golden shower talk stay for the reviews <laughs> yeah yeah, anyway, the film got to a fairly unnerving prison rape scene and we had to turn it off. Not entirely sure if I am going to go back and finish it, to be honest. Wow, this must be one hell of a rape scene. Yeah. Uh, ooh, I just wasn't expecting the movie to be as dark as it ended up being, so I may go back to it at a later date. I had actually heard this film's very dark, so. Uh, the Chud Uncut version is apparently an Easter egg on the recently released Anchor Bay DVD. I am still unsure if the cult classic release is the same DVD, but I think it is. Whether or not it is truly a better film will have to be seen, but I am definitely curious. Sammy, dude, awesome. I will be checking out more Evil ASAP. The 30-second clip made my hair stand up. Sounds like old-school Slayer or Exodus, and let's face it, Slayer and Exodus are awesome. <laughs> Naked Eskimo. I agree with you, Eski, on the Slayer and Exodus comment. I'm 
old school thrash metal fan myself. Uh, In Hell is the Van Damme film we've talked about on occasion. I have heard this quite often from a lot of people that the film is actually very dark. Uh, so we need to we need to get this on the queue. I think. I think so. Uh, Lawrence Taylor, Jean Claude, brutal rape scene. Everybody yeah, looks right up our alley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Football, Van Dam, and rape. There we go. <laughs> yes, the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> uh, the next email is also from Esky. Its title is Stirring the Pot. And this is something that you would have only known if you were on the Pop Syndicate message boards. In honor of Jay and Willie's stand on films everyone loves that they don't, I say the following. Hmm. Requiem for a Dream, a movie about stupid junkies that get what stupid junkies deserve. Hate, hate, hate this film. Pie is the shit, however. Clockwork, oh boy, they don't say this around Sammy, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've read this email, so I, I have my I have my notes ready. Clockwork Orange, beautifully shot, painfully dull. Bob tells me Ooh. I need to watch it again, but then until then, could care less about this movie. Do you want to answer? I'm coming now to or Texas. Or... <laughs> I'm on my way to Texas right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you want me to let you stop? Say it now, or wait till I'm done. No, 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 no. I, I can I can wait till you're done reading the email. You're not going to really contain yourself because there's a couple more in here that you're going to be upset about. Taxi driver. I, I, I have I have my notes ready. <laughs> Again, beautifully shot, painfully dull. Didn't give a shit about any of these characters. Natural born killers. Oliver Stone can take a long walk off a short pier, holding hands with Michael Moore. <laughs> that that'll hurt Bill's feelings, I think, more than mine. But still hurts a little bit. Yeah, uh, cannibal holocaust. Murdering animals for the purpose of making a film makes you a douchebag. Sorry, mm-hmm. and no, I am not some animal rights nutso vegan. Takashi Miike is overrated. Let the mm-hmm. flaming begin. And I should have said love, Naked Eskimo. <laughs> well, Eski, you know, that's a great thing. Me and Will have this conversation all the time about how film is subjective. And that's the great thing about movies and books and media in general is we all get something different from it. Uh, Requiem for a Dream, uh, I think it's a very good film. I don't know what you think of it. I think it's actually very good. Uh, I think it's a great film. I think it's a powerful film. I think the scene... Or that montage at the end where it's cutting between the double, the awful double-ended dildo, the mother, which broke <laughs> yeah. my heart, um, mm-hmm. and the, yeah. sort of the, the rotting arm or whatever it was, it bothered me. Now, I think junkies are idiots, and you see these shows like, um, what's it called, where they intervention or whatever. I think they're fucking yeah, morons. However, the damage and toll it takes on their families and loved ones is heartbreaking. As much as yes, if yes. they want to kill themselves and, and somehow it isolated any emotional damage their family would have, I wouldn't have a problem with it. Yeah, that's really the, the theme of the film, I think. is not so much that the junkies, you know, you do hate the junkies in the film. You just think they're fucking morons, but you, you got to see the effects around that. I mean, it never affects one person. As much as we'd like to think that it's one person who has a problem, it's not. Because if you have somebody in your family that has a problem, you all have that problem. Yep. So uh, it's unfortunate. But yeah, I think it's a powerful film too. I think it's a really good film. Taxi Driver? Ooh, man, you know, we've had this conversation before because I think Jay doesn't like Taxi Driver as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can see where people don't like that one. I can see that. It is a little slow paced and stuff, but I think it's one of the great films of somebody, you know, kind of devolving into slow insanity. I think it's it's a great post-Vietnam, 1970s mm-hmm. New York uh, character study. I, I think it's a great yeah. film. I don't think it's his best film, and I don't think it's quite as good as everyone said, but I do think it is a masterpiece. 
It's a study in loneliness, and that's what it is. Isolation. And, uh, I think, yeah, isolation, loneliness, of wanting to be something more than you are, uh, and you just can't really, you don't know how to get there. Yep. I, I just think it's a powerful film. Uh, do I think it's one of Scorsese's best? I think it's one of his best overall, but I don't think it's, you know, it's. it might not be top, well, it might be for me, but, you know, there are the Scorsese's that pop to mind first. Uh, but it is an insane, you can say what you want to say, but it's got one of the great movie performances of all time. And it, I'm sorry, but Travis Bickle is one of the greatest characters ever put to celluloid. So. Yeah, very accurate iconic now let's get to well first let me say cannibal holocaust i agree with you i told you i said earlier on this show uh it's a film that i love it and i hate it i love it because it's actually got a lot of poignant moments of uh you know who is the real savage it's actually a really very deep film uh you know who's more savage is it the people or is it you know animals what what is it you know who who is the savage out there and you know is it people that are, think they're civilized or they are, you know there's a lot of good questions in there i love and respect cannibal holocaust it's not one i i've i've watched it twice i may not watch it ever again i do own it i'm proud <laughs> yes. to own it i'm proud to have it on my shelf because i think i don't think that diodato is a douchebag i think that was it a little bit needless yes but if you're gonna look at it even beyond that and say well sure but everything's senseless and the commentary on yeah. jacopetti and and the other filmmaker that did the mondo cane films um that's what it was it was a commentary on them and on society mm-hmm. And everything else that was way ahead of its time, and in a in a yeah. way, you need that animal stuff at least once to see the movie pack its full punch and to really pull back the ugly uh, layer to see what was going on. So I don't think he's a douchebag for that. Do I think it maybe was a little over the top? Fine, but that was the point. Um, yeah. I think you know. He, I think he knows he made a mistake. Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah. You know, uh, I never really have met Diodato, but I know in the interviews and stuff I've read with him and stuff, he knows he made a big mistake there. I think he was an angry filmmaker at that point, and he did some angry things. And uh, like it or not, it is what it is. Uh, I don't support it. I, I do think that is a douche move, uh, but I don't think Diodato so much as a douche bag. I just think he, like a lot of angry people, when people are angry, they make really bad mistakes. And I think he made a. I think he made a, a real error in judgment there. That's what I really think he did. Yeah, they were cruel, cruel, cruel things. Like I said, I'll never get out of my brain. But, you know, I know what your main thing is, what you want to talk about. But let's just get through the other ones first so then you can really get into the other ones. <laughs> Takashi Miike, I agree. Uh, I agree he is overrated. I think he is capable of being one of the better filmmakers in Asia. The sheer volume of his output prevents him from doing so, in my opinion. Yes, because all he does is, uh, honestly, he just keeps shitting out product. And, and most of it, every now and then, you'll find a nugget of gold and a big pile of shit. Yep. yep. <laughs> That's really the best way to describe Mike. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Uh, Natural Born Killers, I love. Um, I I like Oliver Stone as a filmmaker. I liked a lot of. I like that film a lot. I think it's just uh, that's that's the film where you know Oliver Stone. I don't know if he was on cocaine at the time, but it's just a film where it's about the experience of the film. It's not really a story so much. I really do. uh, The characters in it are all despicable. There's nobody in it to really root for. But the style of the film kind of overwhelms you, and it's just kind of Oliver Stone saying, "Look, these are all the tricks I know how to do. Watch me work them in here." And it is. There's a lot of commentary in there too. A lot of commentary about us as a society. Celebrity worship and stuff. No, it's a great. I love it. I think it's a great film. Uh, but again, hey, I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong, SC. I'm just giving you my two cents on the films that you've mentioned. Now, what? sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, it's okay. Go ahead. I'll, I'll say what I was going to say after you say it. Now, here comes, I was going to say, here comes the big one for Sammy. And to oh, oh, well, well, before we get to that, I'll say, <laughs> I will say that I noticed all the films he said, uh, they're all divisive films mm-hmm. uh, and divisive topics. I mean, Mike is a divisive topic. You get arguments with people all the time about Mike. Yep. Uh, 
Requiem for Dreams is a divisive film. I know Taxi Driver is a divisive film. All these films are very divisive. Cannibal Holocaust is maybe one of the most divisive films out there. Yep. A Clockwork Orange. <laughs> you know, I've had this argument with many people, and I can tell you that Clockwork Orange is actually in my top five films of all time. Matter of fact, it might be number two or number three. I love A Clockwork Orange, and the reason why I love A Clockwork Orange is its comment on violence is that we all have a violent nature. We all are violent. It's, uh, the human humanity is a violent this creation. It's kind of the same comment uh, Kubrick was going for with uh, 2001. Uh, you know, it's not what you do. It's when you find that you know what the tools you create. You know, it's not the what you do with them or how they're supposed to be used. It's what we uh, I should say. It's what we end up doing with them. You know, we we create these things to better our lives, but you know, a lot of times we end up using them for the wrong things. So. I think A Clockwork Orange is one of the more interesting looks at how violence affects youth, how it uh, changes people. And uh, as far as cinematic bliss, I can hardly think of very few films I've ever seen in my lifetime that changed me as a film fan. And this is definitely one. I just knew from the minute I saw it that there was something special about it. So, And now that's a personal experience. I'm not saying that you know everybody's going to think it's great because I know some people who I've met too think it's just like one of the most boring films ever made. But I think if you know Kubrick and if you know his sensibilities toward violence and humanity, uh, he was a very pessimistic person. Supposedly a very nice guy, but I mean, he just believed that we were, you know, most people were awful. And uh, unfortunately, I kind of believe a lot of times, too, that we can be that way. Uh, I'd like to believe the older I get that we're not that way, but unfortunately, I kind of believe we are. So we like to destroy things more than we like to create. We like to think we create, but I think we destroy more than we create. So. Mm-hmm. It's not, that's, a, that's a personal uh, you know, expression for me. And I just feel like the film is about that. It's about destruction, about destruction of humanity. And I just think it's a very deep film. And uh, it, just, it really hits home for me. So I mean, if I'm going to put it in my top yes. five of all time, you know it hits home for me. So. But again, Esky, totally respect your opinion. Uh, a lot of people I know hate it. Uh, me and Bill and Will have actually been in arguments on the boards for about Eyes Wide Shut. So. <laughs> because Sammy and I think it's a great film. Bill incorrectly disagrees. <laughs> yeah. He thinks it's boring. And Bill, you're still wrong. You are so wrong still, Bill. Just fess up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, I don't take offense to it personally. I mean, I joke around with Esky and stuff, but nah, I don't really take offense to it. I mean, the great thing about Clockwork Orange is, you know, is that it makes people talk. And uh, I still think it's one of the most powerful films. You got to think of when it was made. It, was, it came out in 1971. It's still pretty powerful. Oh, yeah. Plus the music in it. I mean, we, you know, if we ever do a master's class uh, show on this thing, or a couple of picks on here, like master picks, you know, for us, which we've talked about doing. The first one, one I would film. probably pick would probably be a Kubrick film, and I don't know if it'd be that one or not. But It would have to be one film, though, for per show. I, I, yeah, yeah, it would have to be because we'd probably talk about it forever. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're going to do a trilogy, damn it. <laughs> yeah. The entire works of Kubrick in one episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Empty your hard drives now. <laughs> All right, so we got one more from Mr. Esky, who uh, sent us quite a bit. But hey, you know, I, I love the feedback, buddy. Uh, long show this week and such, and as such, I have many comments. Two movies I like that no one really talks about. Uh, Shakes the Clown, awesomely bizarre Bobcat, Bobcat go away comedy that has a lot of folks that would move on to become records in a lot of Adam Sandler's films, including Sandler himself. And People Under the Stairs, my favorite Craven film, though I think it's more overlooked than underexposed. Uh, and that's pretty much all he's got to say on that one. So what do you think? You ever seen Shakes the Clown? I never have because... A friend of mine had, or no, there was a video store I used to go to. And let me put out this APB right now. I've said it on the Cinema Diabolica voicemail, and I keep meaning to do it every episode of our show. Killer Bee's video, Whitby, Ontario. Mike and Will ran the store. If anyone knows how to get a hold of them, let us know via email. I'd love to get a hold of those guys. I was at the store, and they had that movie. 
And I said, what do you guys think? I said, oh, it's be fucking bad. And I trusted these guys because I'd spent I'd spend hours in there talking to them. So I never watched it. That, and I'm not a big fan of the Bobcat. Um, I don't know if it was partially uh, my anger that he had somehow snagged Nicky Cox or if it was just that I, I, I just don't like his shtick. And I know, speaking of Bobcat, Stefan. I think, he, I think he's trying to call you right now. Yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Stefan from uh, Pop Syndicate on, on an old Pickled Embryo episode. I don't know why this sticks with me. He does a really <laughs> not so great, uh, well, kind of great impression of Bobcat Goldthwait that doesn't go over well with the, the other guys on the show. But um, that's what I'm saying. Bring it back, Ste- hey, Stefan, call us and bring back the Bobcat. Bring back the Bobcat, Stefan. <laughs> People under the stairs, I think it's good, not great. I think it's a minor work in the. Uh, the Craven catalog, it's, you know, above maybe Deadly Friend, but below Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, well, People Under Stairs, it's funny. I watched that recently because it's on uh, the FearNet uh, on-demand channel here in HD. So I rewatched it because I hadn't seen it in forever. And, uh, man, it's so dated. That's the real problem with the film. It's really stuck in the time it came out, which is I guess was like 80s, early 90s. Yeah. And it's really stuck in there. I like the premise. I like uh, Everett McGill, who plays the main bad guy in the film. He's such a creepy-looking dude. And the, the mom and stuff. I like it. Uh, I don't love it. I agree with you. It's above yeah. Deadly Friend, but it's not really, you know, my favorite Craven. But no. it's one of Craven's uh, pretty good films. Let's put it that way. Like Serpent in the Rainbow and films like that's, that. I mean, it's, it's, it's a good film. That's an underlooked film. Or yeah. underappreciated yeah. or whatever you want to say. Serpent in the mm-hmm. Rainbow. Uh, Craven's got, you know, his his resume is always spotty, but I still think he's very interesting as a filmmaker. And with that being said, I still can't wait for his next film, which I think is called twenty eight twenty twenty five eight or something like that. Oh, uh, it's not twenty four seven like twenty four hours and seven days. I think it's called twenty five eight. I think it was UB six IB nine. I don't know. <laughs> or a Van Halen album OU eight one two. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, uh, I wouldn't mind going back and revisiting People Under the Stairs at some point. Uh, actually, I wouldn't mind uh, revisiting Deadly Friend either. I remember liking that film as a young, uh, young youngster, but uh, I know a lot of people rag it now. I, I know. Back and look at it. I loved it too as a kid, and I remember having a crush on the girl. Was it Patricia Arquette? Who was it? It was someone famous, I think. Was it uh, oh. Christy Swanson? Oh, maybe it was Christy Swanson, but I remember liking her a lot. And the scene that always sticks with me about that film, sort of the infamous one where I think she used to play basketball and the, the old woman, um, <laughs> yeah. you know where I'm going with this, the old woman... Uh, is it the old she, woman from Throw Mama from the Train? I don't think it is. Maybe it is. It's been so long since I've seen it. Um, <laughs> where she, she keeps the girl's basketball and, and the, the girl, Christy Swanson's character, gets it back and she does sort of like a chest pass towards her and it hits her in the head and it makes her head explode uh, from the yes, basketball, yes. from the impact of the, of the basketball. and that Just is, insane. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty incredible. All right, let's go. we got three voicemails here, a couple from Jay and one from uh, Mr. Vishnu. So here we go. Two hours and 40 minutes and 11 seconds. Yeah. i got to tell you, I'm quite excited. Hey, guys, Jay. Uh, I just wanted to call uh, one last time before I get on a plane and leave this country for a few months. Probably won't be hearing any calls from me. I'll try to stay on the forums and maybe shoot some emails. Um... And that's basically, you know, I just wanted to say thanks for getting the show out in time because uh, you guys are very much going to be my security blanket on that plane tomorrow, let alone uh, all the other times that I'm feeling homesick. Um, other than that, I don't really have nothing to say. I, I, I'm an hour and 20 minutes into Alexander Aja's mares. Hmm. Yeah, that's all I've got to say about that. All right. Talk to you guys later. <laughs> I'll let him go ahead and play the next Bug. one, too. Yeah, so I lied. <laughs> I couldn't wait. I had to listen. All right, so uh, 
Let me talk about the show. Chud, gray movie, blah, blah, blah. He took notes on our Felicio show. <laughs> movie, whatever it was called, I haven't seen, obviously. I don't think I've seen a Felicio at all, other than, you know, a Giallo, which I'm assuming is not the same thing. Nope. Um, Rollins, have you guys seen Wrong Turn 2? Excellent. I haven't seen that yet. All right, right. let's see. Uh, let's, uh, let's go to my notes. All right. <laughs> One hour 43, March for Death. Saw that in theater. Fucking hate Seagal. <laughs> All right, 147. Uh, the thing is better than Halloween, but Assault on Precinct 13 is better than a Mall Boys. Ooh. 140, you got Wrong. 148. Um, you guys love your dicks, don't you? Don't lie. Yeah. All right. I'm just reading what I wrote. As a matter of fact. Uh, 149. Hit Sammy in the face. Ooh. I can't believe you don't, didn't know the strange brew call. Oh. He's always wanting to hit me. Glad you guys always. Package. Uh, <laughs> I have a great heart. Yeah, William, thanks, and such bullshit. Uh, 151 was the longest show forever. I don't remember. Um, 154, pretty sure I babbled enough. I'm pretty sure I babbled enough here. Um, 155, oh, thanks, Sammy. I thought I was the only person out there who had seen a Midnight Clear. It's one of my favorite, probably my favorite war movie, actually. Uh, 159, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Dong. Uh, Wrong great. show. Uh, 159 also. KK Gate. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> it had me in stitches. Also at 159. I don't know if this all happened there. Or, uh, you know, it just... Hmm. Solar Babies. Oh, God, I love me some fucking Solar Babies, man. Jimmy Kurtz, Jason Patrick's. I think Corey Hames in that one. Um, hmm. And last note that I got here is uh, 203 Audition. Okay, that's all it says, but, um, oh, God damn, addition blows. Hey, let's have an hour and 15 minutes of nothing. And then, oh, no, I'm freaking out and torturing you. Blah, blah, blah. Fucking. Hate that movie. No, Jay, right. tell us how you really feel. Love you guys. Bye. Yeah, he told us he loved us, and then he hung up. <laughs> yeah, you know, Jay, uh, yeah, it was a long show, and thanks for reminding us how long it was by sending us a long voicemail. Uh, <laughs> I don't even remember. Did, did we even bring up Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Dong? Uh, no, I I don't think we've ever. I, in fact, I haven't seen it, nor have I seen, never even seen the third one, so I wouldn't have brought it up. I don't even know. I don't even know if we brought that. I don't know. I don't know where that came from. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, you know, a lot of good points there, uh, none of which are really relevant because we know we ran long and we were full of shit toward the end, and we appreciate you calling us out on it. I uh, will... S- yes, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Oh, well, I, I will say uh, I find it interesting that you think Assault on Precinct 13 is the best. Uh, that's a good pick, though. I mean, I really like Assault on Precinct 13. That's definitely in my top uh, five uh, Carpenter films, so uh, that's interesting. I also love Assault on Precinct 13. I love, love, love it, but I cannot, with a clear conscience, put it ahead of... Uh, at least, I don't know, three of his films, four of his films. It's a great little film. Yes. But towards the end, it gets marred a little bit by a little bit of clunkiness, but great film, great score, some great Mm. moments. I love it, but, you know, that's that's pretty steep praise uh, considering Carpenter's early catalog. Yes, yes. Uh, Yeah, I mean, you know, he's thinking that his first film, or maybe his second film, really, is his masterpiece. That is kind of some high praise when you consider what came after. Yeah, certainly. And really, I don't have much else to add to that voicemail, because if we keep talking about it, it just makes that previous show we did even longer. So (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what else he even said. Oh, I would say this, Jay. um, We're glad that we can be your security blanket. And again, uh, I hope you're well. 
uh, over there. Like I said, being away from home can be scary. Um, mm -hmm. It can be tough. Um, so, you know, it makes me feel good to know that uh, we're providing you a little bit of a security blanket. Um, anytime you want to message us, man, by all means, do so. You just yeah, want to shoot hopefully us even. You, hopefully he'll get this new episode, too. Uh, I hope. Yeah. And if, if you just want to shoot us even a private message or something on Facebook, go for it, man. Yep. We are always there. We are the support group. Yes. We will talk about pissing in faces and other pleasantries. <laughs> and welcome home. <laughs> Would you like a warm shower? <laughs> <laughs> All right. And here we go with Vishnu. Hey, Chad. It's Vishnu. Um, I was listening to the show and I was making some notes. And I'm like, oh, what should call it? And then you mentioned Dust Devil. And I had to fold in right away because I was going to put that on my movies I really love. And I thought no one else had bloody seen. Hmm. And I was one of those, you guys should totally care for this because it's such a gentleman's movie. It's sort of kind of a western but it's really not and of course there's going to supernatural bits going and Richard Stanley is one of my favorite directors he just unfortunately seems to not make movies anymore um some other things about the show you mentioned John Goodman earlier I put this up in the forums you mentioned um oh you have to excuse me I'm walking outside and it's bollock freezing me cold um John Goodman you wanted to see him more like a sort of 70s revenge kind of film and there was one recently that um, Kevin Bacon was in called Death Sentence, which my first impression was it's Kevin Bacon and it's made by the guy who did Saw. But it's actually pretty fun. It's really, really mean. And if you get the unrated DVD, it's really, really bloody. And John Goodman is just a sort of badass, take no bullshit, mean son of a bitch bad guy. It's kind of like the, the, the leader of the mob kind of. It's fantastic. And... Uh, I think that was really it. Oh, yeah, Ken Russell. I do love the devils. And um, he did a movie recently. You should not watch it, though. It's called Burned Ashes or something. He redoes that whole gag. He has a woman with, um, like, a Corey mouth on her boobs. But the movie was fucking terrible. All right, <laughs> bye. All right, Mr. Vishnu. Thank you very much. Yeah, I love Vish. And I, I got to hook up with him soon, man. It's uh, It's been hard. Just It's so hard, you know, with, oh, with a wife and child. And that's not... I love that but it just the, the reality of it is that it makes it difficult to do other things and you know that's the way it goes so vish i'm i'm thinking about you and i did want to say that uh, i wanted to ask you if you like um martial arts films or asian cinema because off the top of my head i can't recall him speaking about asian cinema much no i don't not all the other voicemails i've heard him to the other shows i haven't heard him talk about it much but yeah. uh yeah he does talk about dust devil and dust devil is on our uh on our roadmap, we like to call it, to uh, cover. We are going to be covering that. Wolves actually never seen it, so it should be an interesting experience. Yeah, I've heard a lot of good things uh, between Vishnu, um, Your Praise, the Mondo guys is where I first heard about it a long time ago, and I thought, oh, this sounds interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Also, his mentioning of Death Sentence. Death Sentence is one of those movies like Cutthroat's Nine for me. It was it was everything I wanted it to be. I mean, it, there was so much I wanted it to be, and I became so underwhelmed by it. Yeah, me too. You and I had talked about this, I think, uh, when one of I think it was I had seen it, or you had seen it, or after we both had seen it. And I love Kevin Bacon. Uh, Goodman is good in it. Um, but the problem is the, the gang is one of the least convincing gangs ever <laughs> put to screen or put to film. You know, I don't mind the kid in it. He was in Troy, and he's been in a few other things. He's been serviceable, but it's it's the, the typical kind of PC gang that you see nowadays where, you know, like one's one's a skinhead, one's a black guy, one's a Hispanic guy, and sort of the United yeah. Colors of Benetton kind of gang, and they're just kind of these sneering, just preposterously... You, you, they just look like, like theater students uh, butched up for, for a movie. 
Yeah, yeah. the 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 kids are pretty. the The villains basically of the film are pretty weak, and uh, the film was in desperate need of some editing. <laughs> Big time. Big time. It was like two hours and a little change. Kind of like uh, the gentleman's got to midnight cinema. Uh, yeah. It was in desperate need of some editing because uh, wow, it just kept going on and on and on. And Goodman was good in it, and Bacon was too. I really liked mm-hmm. the premise. Some of the setups were good. The the violent payoffs were great, but it was all promise and just not enough not enough substance for me. I would I would it's an average film at best. At best, yes. At best. All right. So uh, with all that being said, we'll go over a couple of things before we play the outro music here. Make sure to check out uh, the other podcast shows, our sister shows, OTC and Cinema Diabolica. Uh, show show all those good guys that listen to them. They're great podcasts. All those great shows. They're all over there at uh, popsyndicate.com slash forums. You can all check them out over there. A lot of great shows. Uh, also check out Mondo Movie at mondomovie.com, Chinstroker vs. Punter, Chinstroker vs. Punter.podomatic.com, I think. Destroy the Brain at destroythebrainonline.com. Uh, am I forgetting anybody? You mentioned all the Pop Syndicate shows, right? Yes, I mentioned all the Pop Syndicate shows. Hopefully I'm not forgetting anybody. If I am, I'm sorry. Call right in and let us know and, and just you know bust my ass for it. And that's pretty much it. Did you want to go over your... Uh, Cinema de Bizarre stuff? Yes, I did want to say I've been in talks with the Cinema de Bizarre people still, and some very good news for those of you that um, were keen to see Hands of Steel. I had sent them a list of Eurocrime stuff and sort of post-apocalyptic stuff and a few other things uh, that I wanted to see if they could get their hands on. And they've gotten back to me with some very good news. Very shortly, they're going to have uh, four purchase they already have it in their possession a print of hands of steel it's uncut widescreen it's a greek uh, a greek transfer a really pristine greek vhs transfer so that's yeah widescreen uncut so i'm really anxious to see that because i only have it on vhs and you know scrap mill creek because you know you're putting i mean as, as good as that is if there's nothing else around if you can get a good print of this film in widescreen i highly recommend it so as soon as that's ready to go um I'll let you guys know. And also, uh, the the um, promotional code that's going to save you 10% on your Cinema Bizarre order on top of everything else will be probably, I'll announce it on the next show. So that'll be up and ready for you guys to start purchasing from them and, and to support them because, I've, like I said, I've got films from them on a few occasions and I've just been very impressed with them. And, and they're good people and they're going to be part of our, uh, our, our sort of extended family. Nice. Yeah. Well, with all that being said, we'll go ahead and jump into the outro. All right, another show is coming on, <laughs> and it's uh, looking like it's coming in right now on the rough cut, an hour shorter than last time. So that's good news. <laughs> yeah, it's still longer than I thought it was going to be this week, but <laughs> I don't know why I still get surprised every time. Yeah, I know you might as well just go ahead and chalk it up. But we did hit our goal of uh, finish time. I know this is all boring uh, talk for the listeners, but we did get close to hitting our goal there. So that's yeah. something. <laughs> We're getting better. <laughs> And in all fairness, guys, I hope, we hope you enjoy the show, and we hope you keep continuing to listen, even though we are, you know, full of it sometimes. Uh, we do like to hear ourselves talk. I don't think we actually do, but we—it's uh, obvious to me we must. <laughs> There's no other explanation, really. Yeah. So uh, that's pretty much all I got. You got anything else you'd like to add? Might as we uh, close it out here. Uh, nothing really. I just want to say I love my wife in this. And I just want to say I am not a fan of Golden Showers, regardless of what this fucking episode tells you. <laughs> I just want to say I think you're lying. <laughs> I don't think... <laughs> I am not a fan. <laughs> you're never living that down. <laughs> no, I'm not. I am not a fan. If you guys want to hear more about Golden Showers, uh, you go to Simodiabolic at Simodiabolic.com. <laughs> yeah, and Don, talk. Oh, what we're going to cover next week. Let's talk about that. 
Oh yeah, uh, well, I, we uh, actually are going to be covering some Pink Iga films as well. The uh, same ones they sent us the screeners as well. We're gonna. I'm going to go ahead and chalk this as my pick. We're going to go ahead and cover uh, S&M Hunter, which is a Pink Iga film. We'll be covering that next week from my side, and you can go ahead and mention yours. I'm going to be covering shot. Well, we're going to be covering Shotgun Stories, which is one of my ten best films of the year, and features maybe my favorite performance of the year from uh, Michael Shannon. So. Really excited to cover this. It's sort of a Southern Fried Art House Revenge film. Uh, so nice. it should make for interesting viewing. Yep. Southern Fried Revenge film and an SM film called SM Hunter. <laughs> should be an interesting show. Yes. But that is what we will be covering next week. So we hope you guys will tune in. And until then, I will say uh, adios. Adios. As the music's faded out, remember to check out Paracinema at Paracinema.net and uh, horrorcommentary at horrorcommentary.com. And once again, adios. Adios. <laughs>